Hey everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you once again from the wood shop with uh, live face-to-face energy. Uh, I don't know if there really is a difference, but I feel like there is and I much more prefer doing this when I can look across the table at somebody's eyes and listen rather than look into the, the screen. I've actually done a couple of these very early on before the COVID thing and the Zoom popularity happened and I, and I did them on an audio only format where all we were doing was sitting at computers on telephones and you couldn't even see the other person. Uh, but I don't know that it matters all that much. I much, much prefer this dtmww.net my little handyman woodworking business if you're in the Louisville metropolitan area it's 502-292-7444 and 12 step spiritual recovery that is a lot of letters uh, and and it's it's a very powerful program it takes a lot of letters to uh to describe something like that it's a book by james christopher cone you can get it at Amazon. It is the 12 steps for those who do not traditionally fit in a 12-step fellowship. Uh, it is for those who are currently in a 12-step fellowship and are looking for a little deeper dive. And it is also for folks who just say, you know, I hear it all the time. Oh, I just couldn't get it in AA. I just couldn't feel it. I, I just couldn't I couldn't do that. Well, here's the same tools in a, in, with a different flavor. Um they are powerful tools. I watch it change and transform people's lives on a regular basis. Um, it will work for you, too, whoever you are. Um, all you got to do is give it a chance. People who spend a lot of money in self-help programs and uh, go into therapists and various other things and get uh, medita- medications to make them feel better. And uh, this system works and uh, is virtually free. 12-step spiritual recovery, James Christopher Cone comes in a few different ways. You can get a big full volume or you can get it in volume one and volume two. You can hear a few chapters of it on this podcast if you just want to get a taste for it. Uh, There's some uh, recordings of a few chapters and you can get a Kindle version. So uh, check it out. I always think of ways to uh, introduce my guests. I never do really have anything planned, but usually when somebody walks in, uh, I remember one thing I do. I remember where I'm at them. I have a thing, uh, remember people's names, and and I have a picture, a photograph kind of picture of where I've met most everybody that I know. I, I know where that spot was, like uh, kind of like when they say, uh, where was you when the Challenger exploded? Uh, I remember when I meet people. And, uh, and I can tell you where I was when the Challenger exploded, too. Uh, I met Catherine at the TSSR. Um, and I don't remember. There's a few of you that came to some spiritual underground birthday meetings before TSSR came in. Did you ever come to one of those? Because when we opened it up to females? Mm-mm. No. Uh, some few people trickled in that I later met in TSSR. And I was thinking of maybe my memory had failed me. Yeah. Um, so at the... Um, Downtown at early meetings, right? No, no you started at the brook, didn't you? Yeah, I yeah. started. My picture is in the brook, and I was thinking it was longer than that. No, we. But we've been at the brook a lot longer than I. Of course, that's now getting to be a year, 15, 16 months since we've been at the brook. Right, and it wouldn't have even been at the brook. My, it was. It's been Zoom. How, were you Zoom system. only? Yeah. Wow. So June. my memory failed me. Good. I'm glad <laughs> when I'm wrong once in a while. Yeah, I think uh, it was like June 4th, my first Thursday evening Zoom Yeah, meeting. I think the first time I actually met you face-to-face was here. Yep. 
yoga. Yoga. When mm-hmm. I was doing a little Sunday yoga, that is the first place. Yeah. Um, Catherine, come through Christopher's. I think I actually group. pushed you. I was like, you need yeah, to yeah, do you the nudged Sunday. me yeah, to do it, it that weekend. You did. You <laughs> nudged like... me to do the yoga, and I said, okay, I will. Uh, I really like doing that. Um, you know, my biggest problem, and this is a good problem to have, is that I have so many great things going on in my life that I had to pick and choose which ones I'm going to do. And I would have never believed uh, that was going to be the case. Uh, you know, when you first get sober, you don't know what you're going to do with your time. You know, how am I going to, how am I going to, you know, I'm not going to be able to do anything because uh, I need that included. I guess I'll just sit and watch TV all day. I can't even do that because that's all I did was watch TV and drink beer. And uh, now you end up with more time and energy than then I don't know how I have the energy and the time to do this. I don't know how doing. I had the time to drink. Yeah, really. <laughs> like how right? in the hell did I fit right. that in? <laughs> uh, I went down, spent the night in the woods last night, went and did a little backpacking trip. And uh, and once in a while, and I talked about this in our meeting earlier today, April celebrated two years of TSSR today, and we all went to Ross's for a meeting. And, um, and every once in a while, this dude, I call him the dude on my left shoulder. Uh, he's kind of like the devil angel kind of thing on one shoulder talking to you. And the dude on my left shoulder uh, pointed out the liquor store on the way down there last night because I was alone, you know. And, and it says, it goes, I see Even that. After six I years. see that, you know, that mm-hmm. it's, it's, it taps me when, if I'd be riding down the road with somebody else, it, he can't get my attention. Mm-hmm. That's why we do things together and in pairs and, yeah, and, and go together. Uh, cause that guy don't have a voice except for when I'm alone. He never talks to me while I'm standing there with somebody. Mm-hmm. He only, he only talks to me when I'm by myself. And, and it truly did turn my stomach to think about doing that. Like, yeah. It grabs you when you don't expect yuck. it. You know, I mean, I, uh, but, and it, and, it, and the very act of drinking and thinking about doing that, mm-hmm. uh, turned my stomach. I thought, you know, if I did that, I wouldn't have went down uh. there and done anything. No. Right? I'd have parked my butt in the recliner in the cabin, and there I'd have sat. And a little while later, I felt like shit and went to sleep and woke up feeling like shit. That's that's one thing I (laughs) really don't miss is the waking up feeling like shit. There's a thing that says, think the drink through. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really does work, and I'm pretty good at thinking about that pretty quick. And the big book says that you'll... uh, uh, I can't remember. It's an R word. Like a hot, like from a hot flame. Oh, recoil. Yeah, you'll recoil yeah, you recoil from it. From a yeah. hot flame. Yep. Just like, and that's what that is what I feel today because it just has absolutely no attraction to me. Uh, oh, your stomach just sinks. Yeah, and you're just like, ugh. And that feeling. Yeah. Hungover and even drunkenness. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my last few, my last years or two, maybe more than that. The drinking wasn't working anyway. Anyway, I had to put pain pills on top of it in order to mm-hmm. drink. And when I drank and didn't have any pain pills, because I couldn't stop drinking, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like if I didn't have any pain pills, I wasn't going to drink. Uh, right. I just suffered through it. And uh, those last few years it sucked from that standpoint. Yeah. I could not just drink. Uh, I would get to feeling terrible, you know, but a couple pain few pain pills to make me feel right okay real quick yeah uh, somebody else actually told me that the way they recovered from a hangover was to take pain pills yep, i used to do that yeah it really is like a miracle you know it's sort of <laughs> like when i first found alcohol and first found every substance really every substance i ever had mm-hmm. done oh yeah uh, i don't remember saying i don't like this mm-hmm. uh you know it was all like man who's been hiding this shit from me uh how come if I do remember when I was on the pain pills and it was early on and they were working really good. 
having the thoughts of, okay, i got to figure some way to get a lifetime supply of these. Yeah. And I will be okay forever if I can just have a lifetime supply of these things. And I was going to back doctors and trying to get, you know, trying to See, get some I golden ticket. Lucky because me and my body uh, and pain pills do not mess. Yeah. They yeah. make my eyeballs itch. They're like it. every part oh, of yeah. me itches. Yeah. I do not. I'm. I'm, I don't know if I'd consider it lucky or, or what, but, like, alcohol was oh, always fortunate. my main thing. I mean, just, you know, alcohol was always my thing. Yeah. You know, yep. really. There is some fortunate, you know, and the bad part about it is is that uh, um, I do not believe that I've given up the complete right to pain relief. Uh, and if it made me itch real bad, I don't know that I'd do it. And I know some people it makes them nauseated. Mm-hmm. Um but, uh, yeah, it's a blessing then that you yeah, didn't like and your body was saying, yeah, don't do this. My mother got the itchy itches real bad, mm-hmm. like hives almost. Oh, she but, she, just but she still took them, didn't she? Oh, yeah. yeah she just go right through it anyway, you know, Ugh. just suffer through the itching. Like, well, I almost, say, oh, but how much suffering did I have when, with my alcohol and I still drank? Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. toward the and end. And she really, truly had a lot of pain, too. So, you know, you may be uh, tipping the scales on, okay, I'll deal with the itching. Uh, she did truly have yeah. pain issues and a lot of the going on too. So, um, and I had some. It, it, there'd be times when I, it, I know that itchy feeling. Uh, mm-hmm. There's times when it it do that to me too, but it, but certainly wasn't meant I was going to stop. Right. Uh, so welcome to the show, Catherine. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, I always think of this about like you know, and Catherine, what was your what's your sobriety date? Uh, this time around is um, your May, current sobriety. My current like sobriety like is May sixth, twenty twenty. Right. Yeah. So yeah, crossed over the one year mark. I always like to get people. Um, there's something special about that first year. There is. And uh, but you can speak to the another thing that um, that I found out too is that my second first year was not as good as my first first year. Now I don't know if that's uh, that's the way it was for me. And I try to warn people of that too, you know, that uh, digging out of the hole after you've already been there. Oh, it's, is I not would not recommend it. I would not recommend going back out there at all. Yeah. I mean, that's a part of my story. And, um, you know, it just comes down to getting away from the work, getting away from meetings and people and connection and um, ego. Yeah. Huge part of ego, but I do not recommend yeah, it. it. That's is. what, you know, so um, what I tell people is look, this first year has been great. Hang on to it because yeah. if you have to do it again, it's not going to be so good. Mm-mm. It's hard coming it's back. Better than some other alternatives, but right, yeah. yeah. Um, the the pink cloud will not be as pink. No, I, yeah, my very first time around, the like massive pink cloud and sharing yeah. it with everybody, and I think I was kind of like a evangelist a little bit, but. Um, yeah, you know. Now my second time is I it had some of that flavor, but I was going through it in a whole complete different energy field. Mm-hmm. You know, I was escaping that prison sentence, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was going through the work with Christopher, and I was surrounded by the spiritual underground, and uh, it was pretty pink. Yeah, I uh, think I mean it. Also, but, I feel like the depths of the despair that you're coming from sort of, you know, yep. color, um, you know, your experiences and stuff. But yeah. Um, yep. So where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in, um, well, if you're from there, you say Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. But I learned when I started traveling and stuff, I'll never forget, in college, we all had to introduce ourselves. And I said, you know, Catherine, Louisville, Kentucky. And the guy looked yeah, at me right. and I had to repeat, he goes, oh, Louisville. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and uh, I always joke, I was born on um, July 24th, um, 1981. I was 20, 20 days late. So I always joke, I was so independent. My due date was July 4th. 
that, you know, and I wanted to be a Leo. (laughs) So I always feel like I have this juxtaposition of character within me, like Cancer Leo, because I'm right on the cusp. Yep. You know, and I'm not rolling to Zodiac or anything, but it just, it always seemed to make There's sense. There's something to it. There is. I'm always, you know, in, in my mind, I'm like, you know, look at me, look at me. And they're like, don't look at me. <laughs> you know, it's like sort of like when I get into it, I'm, I'm good to go. But um, I don't know why, you know, those so. little things to grab you. Um, I'm August 24th. Hmm. Uh, the 24 numbers. Yeah, well, 724. I always joke, I'm going 24-7, you oh, know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's so, another good one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was born here in Louisville. Um, Brothers and sisters? Yes, I am second to five. So um, I've got uh, three sisters and a brother and um, grew up Catholic. Uh, in the, I'm, I'm a Highlands brat. So if anybody knows the mm-hmm. Highlands, um, I went to St. Francis of Assisi. Um, so definitely grew up with religion. And uh, I, am, I, I was grateful for the experience when I was there. Um, and then, you know, I continue to look back and, you know, see how lucky I was, but also like the teachers that I had, you know, there was one specifically that, um, really, uh, drew me and some other people in environmental science. And we had this group called friends of the future. And, um, because of that, I was able to do some phenomenal things, even at a young age. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, so growing up from that standpoint, sounds like things were pretty good overall. Things were good. Um, I always said that my parents were like wrong pieces of the puzzle trying to fit. Um, My dad's working alcoholic. Um, Alcoholism ran rampant in both sides of my family. I heard Um, a guy, there's one of my, that's a joke. A guy says, you know, some people say uh, alcohol runs in their family. He said, alcohol gallops in my family. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, you know, I definitely got it honestly, um, but of course, kind of grew up with the mantra that alcohol was bad. Stay away from oh, alcohol. Did you? Oh yeah, like I didn't, I did not really start drinking until I was 23, um, and you know. But you saw drinking in the home. Oh, absolutely. And it, you know? so it turned you off from that. So oh, it you turned knew me it was off completely. Yeah. My dad turned into a monster. Yeah. He was for the most okay. part an angry, angry drunk. Um, sometimes he would be fun. You know, I have great memories of us yeah. doing like really crazy things. Like when we'd have snow, we'd hang on to the back of his bumper and he would drag us around the streets. Yeah. <laughs> like hang on the back to his bumper. Yeah. You know, like Jekyll and Hyde of alcoholism. Oh, or he can be doing that one day and a holy terror the next. Yeah. I mean, to where, you know, just you'd be scared of them. Yeah. You know, now, alcohol just... was normalized in my family and I didn't see drunkenness. Mm. Uh, I saw a lot of. You know, not a lot, but, you know, because if it had been a lot, they'd have been drunk. But I saw a lot of beer drinking mm-hmm. and wine here and there, you know, in the family functions and all that. But I never, I never was, uh, never was exposed to much what I would call drunkenness that, that really impacted me, you know, that I went, something doesn't look right there. Yeah, my dad would normally, like, hide in the basement, and he always dro- uh, joked because he drank Makers, and he said I should have been drinking Make-M's. Because he's got four girls and a boy. So, you know, Makers was always this thing. And, um, you know, I know my mom was just trying to, you know, she knew because it ran in our genetics, you know, that alcohol could be a danger. And, you know, but I think this, the, the, um, the the um, story that I got was that alcoholics were bad people, mm. you know, not sick people that have an issue that is truly completely out of your control, yeah. you know. And I think that's maybe where my um, difficulty with um, 
celebrating sobriety comes in is because, you know, it, it's a willpower thing, which, of course, we know it's not at all. Yeah. And um, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So even like, you know, admitting that I have any kind of problem, you know, was difficult. But, um, you know, I just uh, I grew up that alcohol was bad. I did not touch it. You know, friends would party in, in grade school and high school. Um and I just stayed stayed away from it. Now, when I uh, I went from the small, tiny Catholic school that I loved, like I said, um, and had some amazing experiences. Um, you know, got to travel, uh, doing water studies and like doing conferences, and um, you know, all through uh, grade school and high school. Uh, but I I don't know if people are familiar with uh, Dupont Manual. Uh, versus some of the other like Catholic schools, high schools. Um, but I ended up getting accepted in Emmanuel and going from this like tiny little Catholic grade school, you know, where I wore a uniform for eight or nine years and then to this huge public school and just felt totally out of place. So when people like, you know, talk about like not fitting in or whatever, mm-hmm. like I really, I had like three outfits to my name. I had no idea how to dress, like just totally overwhelmed by the situation. Um, and like by my junior year, um, I ended up struggling with like food issues, um, you know, like just starving myself and, you know, eventually it would lead into, um, bulimia. Uh, and then it, so I What's mean. What's the difference between bulimia and anorexia? Anorexia. I kind of had both. Like I would starve well, myself. Sometimes they says it together, you know, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll be combined. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's exercise bulimia. Like I got to a point, like I started training for a, ma- a marathon my junior year in high school. Um, and working out exercise and sports was always my outlet and my thing. And I was really good at sports. Like I played basketball in both grade school and high school. And I didn't even pick up soccer until my freshman year in high school, but was playing varsity by like my sophomore year and stuff. So like excelling, you know, was never an issue and stuff. So the anorexia and bulimia, what? That, you know, that came in. What anorexia? Oh, anorexia is like starving yourself and not eating. And then bulimia, there's a couple different forms of it, I guess. But bulimia is eating and then throwing up what you eat. Purging. Yeah, purging. And then there's exercise bulimia, which means you like exercise everything that you could have possibly eaten, you know, burning every calorie that you can. Calories, and then make sure I run that far. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, the, the exercising I was doing on the little amount of food that it was just insane. Like I always think to myself, I probably could have been in the Olympics or something because I put my body through so much, but was still able to excel, you know, at a pretty high level. Um, but, um, you know, I did. I had a good, um, you know, I knew my parents loved me and um, I felt supported, you know, in grade school. And, um you know, there were a lot of kids, you know, I'm second to five. So, you know, vying for attention or, um, you know, they never had, I guess, an issue with me. I was like not an A student. I was an A plus student. Yeah. You know, like I could tell you the few B's that I got in high school. Yeah. You know? <laughs> still pissed off about them. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, and but it was still a but struggle. You can kind because, of fly under the radar like that, you know. If you're oh, absolutely. Getting, you know, uh, I actually learned to use that in, to an advantage is that nobody really bothered me and mm-hmm. cared about what I was doing as long as my grades were okay. Oh, and yeah. My I mom was like, we out, never knew you, you needed know, any they help. They just kept, uh, keep, kept the heat off of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, shoot, that's a and relatively easy price to pay is get good grades. And mom and dad don't pay much attention to what else <laughs> right. I'm doing. Yeah. But um, they didn't pay attention to me. I was getting ready to say that, and that is not at all the case. Mm-hmm. But I think I got a lot more rope. They yeah, let, to run gave with me a in lot order more to get rope. yourself in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I was a good boy. I got good mm-hmm. grades. Yeah. Um, well, and I feel like I stayed busy enough with, I mean, 
all kinds of stuff. It's like I really didn't have time to get in trouble. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I kind of grew up with just, you know, I could take care of myself or, you know, and I was always taking care of younger siblings and, um, you know, Catherine's okay. Yep. You know, it's just like, and, you know, I'd never asked for help, you know, so, um, you know, and I've learned you don't do anything half-ass, you know, that was sort of like, and, you know, my mom was, you know, high expectations. She had really high expectations of herself and she had high expectations of us, you know, so I had high expectations of myself, um, you know, and I do, I feel like I a perfectionism to a fault. I very much dislike it, but very much can't help it. Like yep. just even yep. like a... And it's, you know, there's a lot of places that serves you, but there's a lot of places it won't too. And mm-hmm. well, it's just, I find it's interesting to watch the different dynamics of people that come in and talk here, you know, about, you know, just awful childhoods mm-hmm. uh, to silver spoons in her mouth. Right. You know, and this disease don't really care that awful much about your economic status. Nope. And, um, you know, the mom expecting you to do well is a good thing, mm-hmm. you know, that helps you. And where those balance tip points are, you know, yeah, and I'm learning tips that with my over kids. the edge of yeah. being pushed, setting expectations too, too high exactly. on them so that they end up yeah. feeling like failures because they didn't meet up to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a, a hardest thing in the world is raising kids. Absolutely. Hardest thing in the world. Yeah, it's like, you know, do as I say, not as I do. are always guessing. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's all guesswork. It's roll the dice and I wonder, if, wonder what this will do to them, sort of. Yeah, know. you know, uh, I wonder um, when they're going to find too out mean, that. Too mean, too nice, too, how you be just right in the middle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, just having, um, you know, my, and again, just, you know, having my mom have such high expectations of herself and then still kind of criticizing herself. It's like, God, if this person, she, you know, is so great in all these ways and she's still not good enough what does that make me you know so and it's expectations that can't be met exactly i mean i think that's a lesson that we all work to learn or need to know but just expectations of self and expectations of other people and you know knowing whether they're a kind of person that could even meet that expectation and then realizing you need to let it go or it's on you if you continue to be disappointed you know um but no i uh I feel very lucky for, like I said, I mean, I traveled, you know, California. We did like a pilot project. I got, got, got to go down to Ecuador, Santa Domingo, Ecuador, when computers and Internet were just becoming new. Like our project was you can give a small town the Internet, and you give them the world. So anyway, we worked with a, a youth group down there and, yeah. you know, did an Internet cafe. And um, I've been to the United Nations a few times working on environmental projects and sustainable development you know, which is like this word that everybody uses, but, um, you know, actually facilitating action is another thing. Uh, so, um, so it sounds like you graduated easily and probably with, mm -hmm. uh, high up in your class and yeah, I, uh, nominated, I won an award called the Mary Noel youth world mission award or something like that. But anyway, but yeah, graduated, got uh, scholarships and athletic or, um, uh, academic. academic. I just decided I didn't want to do the, I mean, I knew you'd spend all day and all night doing sports. Yeah. You know, I just, I had had a lot of sports and honestly, I, I was too short to really play basketball. <laughs> I love yeah. being a point guard, but it just, I knew that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So, um, but there's a lot of people that are fair athletes that get through college on a scholarship mm-hmm. anyway, you know? So. Oh Yeah. Uh, you don't good is good i'm not discounting that at all it just wasn't for me yeah yeah yeah. so where'd you go to school 
So um, I ended up getting to Marquette in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And um, I loved it. You know, I shadowed a bunch of different colleges and stuff and ended up there. Wanted to get into communications, media arts. Um, I have always loved movies. I love writing. I've always wanted to, you know, how it talks about the big book, the writer, the director, the producer. Yeah. The, I mean, I seriously wanted to do all that, <laughs> you know. Um, and I was told it wasn't practical. So I sort of got into the, the, um, the news side of it. You know, and as a freshman, I was already on like the news station at Marquette and stuff. Yeah, the news Um, and hated it. I'm like, oh, my God, you're a talking head. You're just sitting there reading a prompter. You know, you had to. It was more about the story fitting in to a certain amount of time. You know, I mean, it was horrible. I couldn't stand it. So all orchestrated. Oh, so I got into the entertainment side and kind of did a show like Bill Maher's show. Um, and anyway, I mean, it, it was neat. I really appreciated those. But at the time, my parents were going through a divorce. Hmm. So like um, prom day, I didn't go to any dances in high school. I really wasn't a girly girl. And like I said, I had really tr- a lot of trouble acclimating to that big place. And I, you know, um, so I went to one dance. It was prom. And I overheard a phone conversation between my dad and another woman. You know, he had accidentally hit like redial on his cell phone, so it rang me back, and I picked you know it up, and of course, it was him not knowing that I was listening and him talking to this other woman and stuff. And you so, know what was going on? Uh, so yeah, that was you yeah. know, I mean, that was the beginning of my mistrust of men yeah. <laughs> for a very long time, um, and I confronted him the next day um, on the porch, just saying, you know, I know you weren't at the you know at work. You know, he's a painting contractor, so was, anyway, um, I heard you. And just a look on his face, mm, just that, like, loss of trust. And anyway, I spent the summer selling knives because, uh, I, you know, normally would you paint on his crew uh, summers when I got old enough, but I wasn't, I didn't speak to him. So after that day, and then I got this letter in the mail. It was like $12 per appointment. So I was like, okay. Anyway, I went in for the interview, and it was just an amazing product. And I came home. My mom was like, so what are you going to do? Or, you know, I was like, I got the job. I'm selling knives. (laughs) It's like, what? Like kitchen knives? So, yeah, Cutco. It's the world's finest kitchen cutlery (laughs) and accessories. It's fantastic. It is the, like, best fishing, hunting, gardening, uh, kitchen. It's interesting that I don't think I've heard of it. It's all American made. probably have. uh, Yeah. I don't know, Only thousand or two thousand knives in the house. Yeah, well, <laughs> one in my pocket all the time. Yep, well, you, and that's what I love about Cutco. It's got the best warranty, and it's just a fantastic product. I, I, so, uh, is it direct marketing like door to door or what? It they they do a variation of things, but like back when I kind of started, their main focus was yeah, kind of getting younger kids to you know sell to family and friends and then get referrals and stuff but like i said i don't do anything half-assed so i ended up like breaking the national fast start record in the first 10 days and all this stuff you know but you know at the same time i'm dealing with all this inner turmoil with parents divorcing and not speaking to my dad and trying to get ready to go to college and um you know we talk about and you know, talking about higher power, it's like, and I had already spent like a year trying to get through these eating issues. And, you know, the longer those continued, the more I hated my higher power. Um, but I'll never forget, like, when this, you know, at the beginning of the summer, wondering if I should go to Marquette, since I'm going to be the one paying for it, because I wasn't talking to my dad, and we were at church. And it was a random priest that was there, and he was doing the homily. And he said, you know, how we don't listen to Jesus sometimes. We're told by the universe of Jesus what to do, but we don't listen or don't want to listen. And he says, if you were supposed to pack your bags and move to Milwaukee 
And this is where, that's where Marquette was. You know, what'd you do it? I was just like, oh my God. You like took this, it as a sign. Yeah, I took that as like literally the priest that I had no idea who he is Maybe telling is, me. Yeah. yeah, so, um, but, uh, and in college, you know, I didn't, didn't drink. There's a picture of me with like a wine cooler and an apple. <laughs> Um, and so uh, ended up transferring back to Bellarmine because uh, just having uh, my parents still, it took like six years to divorce. Um, but, I, you know, not to blame. Everybody's doing the best they can, but just not having that support. Yeah. And the thing is here, and we, we get talked about that a lot, that it's not a blame game and Mm-mm. that's not what we're doing here. But there are things that we go through and the path we're on life has impact on us. Yeah. So just that kind of lack of support, I ended up coming home, um, going to Bellarmine and, um, you know, once again, just working my way through school. And um, I, you know, my first sort of like real drinking um, was when I won some trips uh, each year for Cutco, Uh you know, for selling so Uh much. And I remember my first kind of like time where I could not get up and go do what I planned on doing was in Puerto Rico. I drank so much that night. I could not get up or actually I didn't even wake up to go like snorkeling the next day. I was like, huh. You you remember your first drunk? Yeah. I'd say that that was definitely, oh, definitely my first drunk. It was, I guess, um, so it was on a business trip, it was a, based, yeah. basically a Work pay hard, vacation kind of thing. And uh, I know quite a few sales people that kind of, you start thinking, they're making a lot of money if they're able to send people mm-hmm. places. Yeah. Uh, um, so anyway, um, I, you know, but I would go have fun on a trip and then come back and that was it. Yeah. Really not drink any, you know, and then do it again if there was another Special trip, occasion know. drinker. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I don't even know hardly, you know, just because of my dad's situation, we really didn't. And my uncle actually has been in AA for like 35 years mm-hmm. or something like that. So Actually active or you, you mean successfully? Oh, successfully. Yeah. I mean, he, after his like eighth DUI, <laughs> yeah. he was like, ah. Um, so, and it's, uh, so yeah, I mean, even when you say special occasions, it was actually just more, we never yeah. kind of drank in the home a whole lot. I mean, my dad did but sort of like nobody else. And my older sister kind of like left and never came back. Or she did, but I'm saying she was sort of out of town. So I see that Um, happen. Some kids escape as fast as they can. Yep. And that was definitely, yeah. I, you know, my sister and uh, I don't know. I guess I grew up with unhealthy boundaries with my parents. I was like their counselor for each of them. Like in high school, I'd go for walks with my dad and try and help him with my mom and vice versa. And, it was just like, ugh. So I don't know you if know there's what a... not to do there. Yeah. But you probably, you know, the other thing is you probably catch yourself doing it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even though you learn these things or you know these things, you still find yourself, yep. oh my God, I'm really screwing up again. Yep. <laughs> um, but. Uh, so how did the drinking progress from there? So was it... the um, I graduated college. I really didn't know, even know. I, I ended up getting into another sales job. So basically, you know, my story is just like sticking to what you know, and you know, sales is good money and mm-hmm. it's practical. And it's like, you know, I kind of grew up and this is what's so, what I love about the TSSR, it's just talking about, you know, the programming that you've got and you gotta be practical and you know, your dreams, like I really did want to drop out of college and go to film school, you know, and even after college, I looked into film school, but um, you know, again, just being practical and knowing that I had to support myself and, um, anyway, I was working for AT&T Wireless, um, in sales 
and um, I met this guy, and anyway, he was a partier, and I figured, well, I didn't party in college, I'm going to get my party on. <laughs> so, um, sort of my first serious relationship, I guess, and um, moved in together, and then realized he was a real asshole, <laughs> um, just not a good guy, and um, anyway, the more volatile that relationship got, the more I drank, um, and I just you know, thought, well, if you can't beat them, join them yeah. kind of thing. Well, it's and, a great feelings you know. cover. You know, that's, oh, yeah. I, I don't have to feel it. I mm-hmm. just can numb my way through. Yeah. And that was sort of like my second. So you had that phone phone conversation over her with my dad, and then sort of a similar thing happened with me and this guy that I was now living with. Yeah. So it's like, shit, <laughs> you know. Um, this dude you loved. Exactly. Ugh. But, um, but I yeah. love him. But I, yeah. Oh, and he was just, I mean, he was good. At, he was a great player and good at, you know, checking all the boxes and, you know, look looking like the right guy. Yeah. Um, and definitely not. Um, yeah. But, you know. Say that about me, too. <laughs> right. I can relate to that. Uh, but. Um, I'm going to make you think I am. Mm-hmm. Under, underneath the here someplace is something you ain't going to see, but. Right, yeah, and I think that's. Um, I mean, it's we've tough. All got it's that. a tough juggling trick, you know, and I feel for that because uh, I know it. Yeah, well, and I just found myself, you know, again in this situation where it's just like you have these reasons that you don't want to leave, you know, and then the yeah. reasons that you definitely should. Pro and, con lists and yeah, exactly. I mean, and and this and it's tough. We get into routines, and it's tough to break any routine we get into. It doesn't yeah. really matter, you know, because I mean, the human will sit in uncomfortableness for a long time rather than risk change. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, is the pain over here worse than the pain yeah. that I have right now? Yeah. You know, or this kind of change. Um, so yeah, I mean, I stuck around a lot longer than I should have. It was verbally, physically abusive, mm. like, and I mean, I. Um, was definitely seeing so this was only about two and two years two and a half years after i'd started drinking really and i mean i saw the writing on the wall i was like i do not want to be like my dad you know um and i this was the time when i really did make a concerted effort to try and stop drinking um and just would get home and by six or seven i I was working at the courier journal at the time actually um in sales (laughs) again and just be, you know, just really struggled trying to put it down. Um, but at the same time, you know, the eating issues were still there. You know, I guess that's sort of what I also used as a control thing. You know, when you're surrounded by all this chaos, you try and find one thing you can control. Yeah. Running and my food, I could control. You know, that was in my purview. But um, no, I remember he like poured a bottle of vodka over my head at one time and mm-hmm. like, you know, um, in the end, we ended up in, in court oh, really? because of the abuse and stuff. But um, I finally moved out. Um, and I guess another reason I didn't, because I didn't want to end up back at one of my you know parents' house, yeah. which was ultimately what was going to happen. So, um, but uh, I guess it was, you know, the drinking kind of continued. And I remember, um, I forget, October like 2006, I was sitting in my car um, over in the Highlands and you know, just again, just like, this is not living. I am, I am not living at all. Like, uh, I couldn't eat right. And I was drinking Yeah. and I couldn't stop. 
Um, a bottom. Yeah, definitely. Sitting there, hidden the bottom. Like I am basically dying right now. Yeah. So uh, luckily there was a, uh, I had gone to a few meetings a few times. I had actually gone to JDAC a couple months before that saying I want to get in. And I was able to stop drinking for the 15 days before I got it, got an interview. And they were like, you're not bad enough. They're like, oh, you're not. Are you sure? They actually told me or like, oh, I don't know if you're an alcoholic because you were able to stop for 15 days. So I took that and ran with yep. it. Up, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. See, it's just situational. So that was when I think I first started to make excuses for my behavior, just saying it was that person that did it. You know, um, I'd be sitting on the couch like drinking and Wade would call the police on me. And I wouldn't even do anything. And at one point, they took me down to U of L, I guess, for the evaluation. You know, this lady's interviewing me, and I was like, "Do I need to be here?" She's like, "No, you're, you know, because it wasn't criminal or anything." So I just got up and left. And I'm downtown at like two in the morning, and I wait down a tow truck driver <laughs> to take me home. I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but uh, you know, just pure chaos. But there was uh, somebody in AA that actually paid for my treatment. Um, so I went to Texas, uh, Abilene, Texas, for an eating uh, first. And then they kept telling me to stay, go to a halfway house, stuff like that. Is this that. after that October date? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, you that October. Yeah, that October. Somebody in AA paid for you to yes. go to treatment. And November 9th, um, I was in treatment. So Out of state um, treatment. Yes, out of state treatment down in Texas. So um, anyway, I mean, I learned a lot from it, I guess. It was, so, I don't know, treatments treatment um you know I mean, I should... there's stepping stones you know and mm -hmm. some of us have to walk on the same stepping stone a whole a lot of times, times before they get them and some That's... people don't unfortunately that was me and um... i think when you're young too you know there's a thing about thinking you can reel it in mm -hmm. the trouble i got into early drinking you know mm -hmm. I, I, I honestly thought that i was handling it yeah you know and and, and had no idea i wasn't <laughs> I really, you know, you could have told me anything. I mean, I, I, would, I had a handle on it. I could stop. Yeah. You know, I'm on probation for a year. I didn't drink. You're right. The day I was off, I was partying and, right, exactly. and thought it was okay. Yeah. No, I just, I, you know, looking back on it, um, yeah, you know, I told myself so many times that, you know, I wasn't really an alcoholic. I mean, one of my first meetings, I was already calculating, like, how old I'd be when I had 30 years. I mean, talk about an alcoholic. I'm like, my, you know, just craziness. But, um, you know, even after going to treatment, like, um, I went there and I went to Texas for the eating and then California for the drinking. And I know I didn't appreciate it the way I should have. You know, I don't know if, I, I, if 26 is young or not. But, it is. You're a kid. Um, you know, I mean, I did. I realized early I got an issue. And, I mean, in my first AA meetings, I was like, what the fuck? These people, I was like, all you got to do is give it up, you know, with food. Because that was my main, main, yeah. like, issue. And, I mean, it, it cost me so much in my life. But um, I'm like, so I don't know if I was quite pickled yet at that time. But, um, uh, I mean, I still, even when I got out of treatment, I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever cause I just said this story out loud, but I was in California. I got out of treatment. I think my mistake was never doing the in-between process, never going to like a halfway house yeah. or something. I went, you know, totally away from all the triggers, all the shit that was giving me anxiety, totally in a bubble. 
and then went right back to the life that was right. causing yeah. me so that's much what we, pain. You know, that's the that's still the thing. You know, that's why we try to catch guys coming out of treatment. You know, and get them plugged into AA, and you know, tell them, look, if you don't, you mm-hmm. know, your success rate will not exist. Right. If you just jump back out, if you just jump out of treatment and go home, you aren't fixed. Right. And to a, a family that still thinks it's a willpower thing. Yeah. You know, yep. it's like I, like seriously. Not understanding the disease. Right. So, I mean, I hate, I mean, I'm so embarrassed to even say it. I mean, I got out of treatment. I hung out with some friends in California for a couple of weeks. And then on the airplane, in the airport on the way home, I drank again. Mm-hmm. And, of course, my body wasn't used to it. It had been off of it for a while. And the, the psychiatrist leaving, I don't know why he did this, but leaving the treatment center gave me these, like, pills to stay calm, which was ridiculous. I really wasn't a pill person anyway. So, anyway, between the pills to stay calm and alcohol, I ended up, like, passing out on the plane. Like giving you, like, a benzo or something? I don't even Probably. know. Probably. Like, I'm, like I said, I, I never really was into pills. But Dr. Brady says it's, uh, it's just alcohol in pill form. Right, the, the yeah. Benzos. I love Burns. Good guy. But, yeah. um, so I ended up, like, they had to end up landing in Evansville for, like, mechanical issues and stuff. But I was so out of it. I ended up at the hospital and then had to lie to like who was going to be picking me up at the airport. Why you're not there. Why I'm not there. Then ended up having to like the airport company drove me from Evansville to Louisville. Oh, really? And then was sitting there at Louisville like everything's hunky dory. My mom picking me up and me just concocting. Just a little late. Right. right? You know how flights are. It's, thank you. See? Well, and at least I had the mechanical situation to kind of yeah, like cover right. for Yeah, right. You had a plausible... Deniable. Yeah, exactly. Way to go about it, no doubt. Uh, well. You ain't a good alcoholic, you can't put that story together. Oh, yeah. I mean, I you know, looking back, I'm just thinking about the lying. I mean, I'm still working through my amends and stuff and sort of balancing. It's like, well, do you get honest with the person? You know, and that's why we have to yep. evaluate whether. Yep. That's why you have somebody guide you through that. Yeah, stuff. whether it's going to cause more harm or, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, I don't but know. But you can always make amends. I want to make sure that, that point gets hit. Just because you don't make direct amends because right. of the harm, you can still make that. You can still balance the karmic scales. Absolutely. Um, a lot of people will want to use that to get out, you know, to escape oh, the amend, right. right? Yeah, right. I'm off the hook oh. on this one. Yeah, I don't want to hurt so, the person any more than I, you no, know. No, we're just going to do something else. Exactly. Um, but no, I'll definitely have to get honest with, uh, you know, my fabrications and lies and, you know. Um, the one thing I will say that I got uh, that really stuck with me out of the treatment in California was integrity. And realizing that that was one of my core values mm-hmm. is um, like being open and honest and truthful, and um, saying what you, say what you're going to do and it, do what you say. exactly right. I mean, even down to where like if I'm going to be five minutes late somewhere, I'll text somebody and let them know. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but no, I, um, I live that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that really resonated with me. And now, of course, I mean. Did I lie my ass off, you know, you know, once I got back and continued, but that message but still stuck it, with yeah. me. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, March 8th, I guess it would have been 2007. So um, was, was my official finally getting my, I think I got out of rehab at the end of February 
screwed up on the way home, you know, and then uh, multiple days thereafter, and then was just like sitting on the floor, just like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> like, this is insane. This is so insane. Um, but finally got my shit together and um, uh, stayed sober for a year and a little bit. Um, that was when I um, actually in May, uh, it was the job I had before I went to treatment was really cool. They let me go to treatment. And when I came back, I had it for a month or two. Mm. And then um, they ended up firing me over the phone. And then we're like, we'll mail you your stuff from your desk. I'm like, Jesus. Um, but it allowed me to Could, say yes. You couldn't yes make to it to work? Do what? How, how do, why did you get fired? Um, they just, uh, I mean. It wasn't alcohol related. It wasn't alcohol related. No. It was just, they still. They just got rid of you. They got, yeah. They weren't, they hired me to do sales and they weren't ready to have a salesperson. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, by having the job say no, this is one of those like higher power things. I was able to say yes to this bike ride across the country, Mm -hmm. um, which was just an amazing experience. And I was actually talking to youth and, you know, schools and things like that. Uh, Part of my story, I didn't go like in depth with it, but just was able to like, you know, just talking about, you know, drugs and alcohol in high school and, you know, trying to, um, you know, follow your heart, you know, and try and listen to your own own story within yourself. Or, um, but uh, anyway, I've never had the serenity that I had when I was riding my bike in Arizona and Mexico. Like I want to go back there and ride again. It's just that when I think about serenity mm-hmm. and when we talk about serenity in the program and stuff, that is where I I have felt it like more than anything in my life. Um, which I think is neat because, you know, if, if somebody hasn't found that, I would recommend like really trying to find where you can, um, you know, find that serenity. Um, and I think a part of it was that, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know, just the expanse of nothingness in the desert and, you know, the riding the bike and just being able to have the clearest mind that I think I've ever had. Yeah. Um, so that was another period of sobriety. Yeah. So you know, that's a, anytime I, most time when people, when my guests are in here talking, I like these phrases pop up, you know, that are just directly parallel. A lot of people say the big book, you know, is antiquated and it, you know, I love but, the big book. They're uh, not reading you know, it right. Like you said, they, uh, <laughs> you were sitting there pounding your fist on the bar saying, how did I get how here again? How did I again? get here again? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we, and most of us do, we have these periods of sobriety, Bill says in there, you know, there mm-hmm. were periods of sobriety. And, you know, we could pull off some time and some people could pull off more than others. And, mm-hmm. and there's guys that couldn't, couldn't pull off any time. But I had plenty. When my when my tail feathers were on fire, I could have a period of sobriety. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd get a DUI and walk the line for a while, you know. Yeah. And therefore means I don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and again, I think fi- forgetting when you forget the pain of the past yeah. And you're not doing this work. You're not staying connected. And again, that's where sponsorship comes in because then you're, yep. you're reminded of where you came from. Um, you know, it really is just a matter of time. Yep. You know, I was a ticking time bomb if several times. If you are a true alcoholic, it's going to catch up with you. And it will progress to a point that those things almost seem like uh, uh, there's a fun, there's a, there's a, like, like you really didn't have it yet, sort of. You know, you haven't crossed the invisible line kind of thing. And then one day you wake up and you've been drinking daily for four years or whatever it's been, you know, and now mm-hmm. you really are under the deal, you know, and, and it's gotcha. 
Yeah, like I was always tell, told myself that, well, I never, I've never been the type of person that drank every day for like a year or whatever. One, because my body wouldn't let me. Like yeah. four days was my max of being able to drink like day after day. Yeah. But I mean, the stupid stuff we tell ourselves, you know, whether we're addict or, you know, you know, my dad working alcoholic, you know, if you get up, go to a job, take care of your kids. I mean, you yep. know, my most recent sort of um, situation, you know, I was a good mom, but I wasn't the best mom that I can be. Yeah. Um, but I remember saying, like, I, you know, had a year and, you know, March 8th, I guess, I don't know, it was 20, 2006. But anyway, I just remember saying, like, you could pay me $5 million and I won't ever drink again. Two months later, Derby, Drunk. guess who's drinking? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's funny, not funny at all. So, you know, I was out for like three months and things hardcore fast. I mean, like to a point where I was climbing up the fire escape naked trying to get into a, my locked apartment kind yeah. of shit i mean just stupid insane things yeah you know it's just like how in the fuck yeah. <laughs> so and then you struggle up against step two when it says restore me to sanity and you go i'm not crazy yeah and you look back and go that was kind of crazy that was really freaking <laughs> crazy that was absolutely insane um you know and i had a lot of that that i would forget and so i you know, got another sobriety date, August of like, I guess, 2008, and then had another year and a half, and then relapsed again. <laughs> just, um, and I don't mean to laugh, it's actually yeah. like heartbreaking. No, to be, it's heartbreaking. But you were, at those times, if I'm hearing you right, all you were doing was putting down the alcohol. You weren't really doing any work no, behind them? Uh, no, I was, um, Again, resentment and like I, I was doing, I do the work in the beginning and then but you either, like, but you wouldn't consummate the 12 steps and then drink again. I would do the 12 steps, but not in a way that I did them or yeah. I'm doing them this last year. Not at all. That's what, you like, know, and that's the same thing I could tell you, you know, I did go through the steps in 2011, but it's almost like, uh, I have a little story and it's not, it's crude to say, but, um, I don't even count it anymore, you know, compared to what I've went through this time around. So I really can't say, you know, for, for during those four years prior to my current sobriety date, I would tell you I worked the steps. I, but I really totally didn't. agree. Uh, In comparison to this last yeah. year, absolutely yeah. not. I think you that's know? where it comes into half measures and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, unless you let go, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of doing the steps or mostly doing the steps, that kind of stuff kind of doesn't mostly, really get it all the kind way Kind of there. mostly is exactly what I was yeah, doing. Okay. That That's was, what I want to be clear about here. Yeah. Because I almost yeah. have one definition of relapsing, that if if you work the steps truly to the best of your abilities mm -hmm. and practice these principles and then you relapse, well, then I call that a relapse. Otherwise, it's just another one of these periods of sobriety, you know. Right. I, oh, I get you. See totally. what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. There's, there's sober and there's recovery. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a big yeah. distinction. Well, there. People come in, you know, and you see them every three weeks and they relapsed again. They relapsed again and relapsed. I'm like, you never relapsed. You never did stop. You never stopped. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I would do do the work. I, I, I mean, I mean, there was twice that I really did do the 12 steps. Now, and I take that back, though, because I never my sponsor at the time and these last, you know, um, I have four serious sobriety dates. <laughs> Again, not proud of it, but and I think um, I know where you're going on what you didn't do, and then that's I the kind of mind trick we do with step. ourselves. Yeah, I was gonna say, you I know, never had. Um, people will say that quite often that they worked them all, you know, and then you go, well, were you sponsoring people? Mm -hmm. No. Well, that's kind of one of them. 
Exactly. Uh-huh. No, that. Yeah, but I think that's the cunning, baffling, powerful thing of alcoholism. It'll have you convinced that you work this work, mm-hmm. and, and then you go, well, I'm going to convince you that you don't anybody. need this. Oh, you don't really relate to these AA people, or you don't want to make AA your life. Or I'm not you know. really wired for sponsorship. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I looking hear that at one around. Yeah, I make it, it an excuse now, but like, well, my sponsor never told me, go get a sponsor, yeah, right. you know, but like this time around, I'm like, okay, is it time to sponsor yet? <laughs> it's like, okay, what's your part in that? Um, it's like, you never really brought it up, you know, and I never really, I mean, really stuck around long enough, you know. Um, I didn't really think it was a requirement back then. I thought, you know, you all talk this shit about these things being suggestions. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, um, I never sponsored anybody. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, there's a reason the, the steps are the steps and they're all there. That's why I say that that thing, that guarantee that if you work the steps and practice these principles in Mm -hmm. your life, you will never drink again if you don't want to. Yeah. And, uh, but that's a bit, you know, that's a mouthful. It is. It is. It's a lot. And and people will say, I'll work the steps and drink again, you know, and then when you get into their story. It's like that. um, You know, they stopped going to meetings and they stopped doing everything and they put everything down and that's Mm -hmm. not working the steps. Right. Putting down the, you know, that's kind of the, that's one of the toughest pills to swallow in this whole thing is that, uh, that I don't get to stop participating in my recovery. Right. I don't get to stop. This is going to be a lifelong thing for me if mm-hmm. I want to stay, if I want to stay sober. Well, and that's a, that kind of goes in line with one of my, I guess, greatest character defects or faults or that is my ego and my pride. Just me saying I'm an alcoholic, you know, in my mind that puts a chink in my honor, you know, that that doesn't make me superwoman anymore or some convoluted bullshit I tell myself. Um, You know, and and when we talked about the pink cloud earlier, my first time getting sober, like, I was proud. I wore like a badge, like, you know, and I I don't know what's happened to where... You know, over the course of the next couple of times I got sober where I was embarrassed by it, yeah. where I wouldn't even celebrate. Like, you know, my third time, right. I didn't even celebrate my one right. year. Yeah. I, and I was. Like sitting here now, how is that in alignment with somebody who wants to stay sober, right? It's not at all. Yeah. I just put it down. Yeah. You know, so. But at um, the time, you just don't see that, you know. Mm-hmm. And another thing is, you know, I think that's why this, uh, a strong support group around you that, mm-hmm. you know, like, no, you're celebrating. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, no two ways about it. You're, you know, this somebody is a good can thing. keep me nudging around. Yeah. And, and I need that team around me. I'm glad, you know, somehow or another God allowed me to build this team around me mm-hmm. that we keep each other accountable, you know, on a daily basis. <laughs> right. And, and I, and I've, but I finally surrendered to that point that, that that's what I'm going to need to do to stay sober. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to have to have, I'm going to have to be plugged all the way in. Right. Then there's nothing that gets in, in front of it. No. I do not, like, I mean, unless there is. I, I've only missed two Thursday night TSSR meetings in the last year. And I can't, like, one of them actually was three weeks ago when my dad was coming from the hospital. And I just completely forgot it was Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which, I mean, but I just, I don't, It you know, and they talk about it over and over in the big book is that acceptance, you know. It, and I'm not good or bad. It's here nor there. Just yep. I'm an alcoholic. I have an allergy to alcohol, just like a person has an allergy to a nut. You know, 
If they eat a nut, they could potentially die. If I drink, I could potentially die, you know? Um, And it was, I was busy dying, you know, in my time. Just slow dying. Mm -hmm. I I was not. For most of us, some people drink themselves dead pretty fast. Yeah. I look back at my people I ran with and how many of them now are dead as a direct result of alcohol. Mm -hmm. And everybody called it anything but that, you know? And, but now I know. Mm-hmm. You know, that these car wrecks and, and fatal accidents and suicides and all those were alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people go quick. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it will eventually get you that, that, you know, we, we, we poo poo those cliches a little bit and I tend to, you know, I don't do much anymore, but I still cringe a little bit. Uh, because it just seemed that. So we've got one of three places, jails, institutions, or death. You and know? It's, very, it's so true. But not for me. Right, yeah. Well, and I mean, I told <laughs> I'm, I'm myself that time and again. Yeah, it's like, I don't need this and I don't need it. I mean, I don't, uh, again, it's just the stories we tell ourselves of yeah. it, the ego getting in there. And, and like, I believe the Superman thing of youth, you know, the, it, when, yeah. when you're young, mm-hmm. you, you still feel like you can handle things you know Mm -hmm. that you that it won't happen to me yeah well in my last sort of in 20 um so 2011 i had like um i got pregnant with ainsley like um surprise um and your first that yes and that kind of started my uh, one thing kind of it started um my uh i guess it wasn't even my most recent. This is, I'm so, I can't say it's embarrassing because that's what we do is drink and drug and addict does that, you know. So drinking was, you know, kind of the norm, you know, staying sober is um, yep. unfortunately the exception, yep. you know, if you're being blunt and honest about it. So, um, you know, I really was doing the work during that time. Um, and I don't even, and again, just got away from meetings, got away from the work. I got a resentment uh, against, um one of the ladies in my home group and then just stopped going. Yeah. And then it was just like, oh, I really don't need this. I mean, and then, um, you know, the next thing I know, 14 days after I had um, Elijah, um, so like 2011 to 2013, I was sober and then kind of slowly started drinking again. Um, and people, you know, it's funny, you know a sobriety day, but you don't know the day you start drinking again. It just no. happens. It's like, I don't know, it was the middle of the summer, margarita with dinner with friends, yep. you know, and then a few months later I had another one. A few months, you know, it would take about two years for shit to hit the fan. Um, but um, I was uh, 14 days after I gave birth to my son, I got a DUI. And, um, you know, I mean, that it was just, and then got sober for two and a half years and then drank again. You know, again, it's just, it's the forgetting the pain of the past. You know, of course, when I think about it now, it, like, gets me a little upset. It's like, what fucking person has a 14-day-old at home? Yeah. You know, it was uh, a few days before Easter. And um, even after getting out of jail, (laughs) I still drank again the next day. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, uh, it sucks. And if anybody thinks this is a willpower thing, <laughs> yep. then they're fucking idiots. Excuse me. You're exactly right. But this is, is not a place people want to be. That's what this will do. Yeah. 
Um, but it takes doing the work and it, it takes saying, you know, I'm, I am this and that's okay. Um, Step and I one, admitting it, and yeah. really having it in there deep, you know, and that's something, you know, obviously you weren't able to actually swallow that completely. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, is, you know, by God now, you ought to be able to. <laughs> right? You think that would have been after the last time, but again, it goes back to, to doing this work. And like um, the most recent, uh, you know, I've got a year, but... Um, you know, we had COVID, and um, I didn't know my husband was up to something last March, not this past, but last. And my dad not doing well. It just like it was like the perfect storm. Yep. Um, and it's an interesting know, just, thing the disease seems to do too, and I don't really know how that works. But as you walk along, watch, you'll see people that are in their early recovery will get some big goddamn challenges. Mm-hmm. It's like, how's all that raining on them? You know, right now. Yeah. And I almost think it's some kind of thing disease-wise, man. I mean, it's it's I don't really understand the universe, but with some time under my belt, there's definitely been some patterns I've seen uh, of these crises mm-hmm. on people making it really tough for them to stay sober. Well, my son got a neurological um, called infantile spasms out of the blue when he was 19 months. And if I had not been sober during that time, I don't know how any of us would have gotten through it yeah um but you know like you're saying i'm sober again and you know within a year and a half i'm it it was the worst time of my life yeah by far um a situation like instead of having like seizures he had his brain was in chaos all the time but like we were kind of lucky because most kids get it between four and six months and he got it at like 20 months so he Hmm. could already sit and walk and he had stopped talking i didn't know why but you know, it was just the medications he had to do. I was having to give my son like a shot, like an actual shot. Mm-hmm. They they didn't even really train me. But what I'm getting at is just there's no way I could have been there for him and done what I did and, you know, do that without being sober. Yeah. You know, um, and it's just, I mean, I don't know if you would say unfortunate, non-unfortunate. You know, I had some support from some friends and stuff, but I, I was no, I wasn't going to meetings at that time you know so it's just i don't know what you would call it just like stale <laughs> like recovery or something yeah. um, one word we say is dry yeah we're, but we're just not drinking right we're not treating this thing and and, and you know my tagline you must participate in your, your recovery. recovery yeah you must but um anyway um so I, again, just I would in last last year COVID. I'm teaching my children every day. I mean, there was it was just chaos. Um, didn't know what my husband was up to. Couldn't see the bank account anymore. Freaked out about finances. You know, trying to have patience with my kids, um, and drinking a lot at night. You know, and sometimes during the day, and a lot of weekends. Um, even though, like the year before, I had gotten pancreatitis. <laughs> I mean, the shit that I put my body through. So I was trying to, like, mitigate not getting, like, horribly ill again, you know, but still drinking, you know. But I was only drinking hard cider, Dan. Only hard cider. No hard alcohol anymore. Beer to wine, whiskey to brandy, all that kind of stuff that we do. It's, I mean, the the big book. I've known people sitting here have been in the hospital for chronic pancreatitis 
Mm-hmm. I was headed there. Multiple times and still drank. I was headed there. I was staring there. at a six to 20 year prison sentence and, and still, still drank. Yeah, it is. It is the, the greatest form of insanity I've ever seen yep. or experienced myself. Yep. And you're going to tell me I'm choosing to do that. You know, right. So oh, it's just. The part thing, the choice, if you just make better choices and that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, human beings don't do that, don't choose to do that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I don't think people choose to commit suicide. I don't think so either. It's it's a power beyond there. It's the same. This alcoholism is a power greater what? than me. Ultimately, mm-hmm. not the same one we get with when we get sober. But mm-hmm. it is, you know, it's it's like a computer virus. It's hijacked an operating system, and that person truly is not in control of their deal anymore. No, it look, kind of looks like it. They like to think they are because they're making it to work and they're doing the things they need to do for the most part. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, but they're that's that's what this is. And there's just no way. There's really hard to, to. And that's one of the reasons why I like to tell these stories on here to continue to beat this drum about what this does to people. Yeah, on on the outside, you can be checking the boxes and you can look fine. And you know, I was I, definitely the one rated despair within. Yep, 2.3 kids, a dog and a cat, <laughs> yep, uh, married for a whole bunch of years, held the same job for yep. a whole bunch of years, had a nice house, two cars in the garage, you know. <laughs> all the boxes were checked. And I'm sneaking out at night, breaking in houses, stealing pain pills. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I will say a part of just my story. And I could afford the, them. To, <laughs> well, and yeah, that's a whole nother, unfortunately, um, you know, I was with, you know, I am with somebody that, I mean, I met my husband in AA, so, you know, and, you know, he still fights the fight, and, you know, that's a whole nother aspect of it. You know, it's very, very tough to maintain, you know. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things going is to be, maintain so, your recovery when the family's not in, in support. Very hard. Um and that's what I think made what happened last year so difficult because, you know, he's doing his thing more even, you know, bad, if not worse than me. And then I wake up um, May 2nd and my family's gone and the gecko and the fish. And I didn't know where they were for 24 hours. I finally get a hold of them. You woke up after drinking or sober? Um, no, I've been drinking. Yeah. And that's why they were gone. Yeah, I, I mean, mean that's the hook it was hung on anyway. Right. The hook thing. Yes. I mean, you know. Yeah. I had been. Yeah. No I, one thing ever does it, but right. But that was the. I would imagine, and if I remember right, that's the hook that that was hung on. Exactly. Yeah. Because my, you know, just um, even though I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing, my drinking was still out of control. You know. One of the uh, other things that I've been in contact with is. Um, Ladies are talking about the mommy wine clubs, you know, that we deserve a drink. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. All I'm having to do. And, you know, if I can't have a glass of wine in the evening, then. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. All the way back to the Rolling Stones song, the mommy's little helpers. I deserve it. Yeah. I did all this shit. And I've been, you know, I'm teaching a kindergartner and a fourth grader and taking care of my dad. And, you know, again, all the uncertainty. But. Um, but yeah, there's always good reasons to, to drink, you know, or to escape or to, to numb or, you know, do whatever. I mean, it's just, I didn't, I didn't need a reason, obviously. I mean, excited, I drink. Sad, I drink. It's yeah. Tuesday, I drink. Sunny, cloudy. 
Stays, exactly. stays at NNY. Yeah. It's a good day to just sit inside and chill and watch a movie and, you know. Uh, I remember back in the day I'd drink box wine and eat pretzels. But uh, anyway, the most recent kind of come to was, uh, you know, I and then I didn't know for 24 hours. Then he called and just said, you know, we're at my dad's. And then he called back an hour later and said, by the way, you're going to get divorce papers tomorrow. Uh, you know, and I just started a whole shit of stuff. But thankfully, I had a friend that I had met when we both got into AA 12 years before um, who suggested the brook. Hmm. And I ended up getting in Christopher IOP, and it was just... So you just went outpatient, or did you go inpatient? Um, because it would look good on paper, I did, like, the inpatient for, like, two or three days. Um, but I didn't need to take anything to, like, yeah. for withdrawal or anything. Yeah, um, me either. But I do believe and the book says so too even mm-hmm. though it says um like for if they're jittery they may need hospitalization but there's definitely something to say about having that break because uh it's mighty hard for some of us to get it tomorrow without being someplace safe and protected mm-hmm. you know and, yeah. and there you can get a few days of not drinking in a row mm-hmm. and then they let you out and you get a little yeah. head start you know yeah because uh, i wouldn't i don't i don't you know i did eventually but uh, before that, I, I, I wouldn't, tomorrow just wouldn't come for me, you mm-hmm. know, where I'm not going to drink tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. Uh, there's no way that the, the parasite drove me into the liquor store sometime before I got home from work that day. Mm-hmm. Well, there, and there was, you know, I mean, it's good that I think it happened because, um, my mom and my sister went in and like scoured the house to see if there was any alcohol hidden anywhere and i mean they found some i didn't even know that it had been there so who knows you know especially with what i went through you know last summer but um so you went to what five days probably inpatient and then signed up for the iop Mm -hmm. yeah and it was brutal i mean I, i still it's hard for me to talk about because it's just like that was mother's day last year Mm. Um, so yeah, it sucked. (laughs) Um, and again, I have to like check myself because I'm going to like blame or be like, well, they, or, you know, the hypocrisy or, but it's just, and I think you said it earlier today until you say something out loud, you know, it, it still has so much power and so much pain, you know, behind it. Yep. And no, I was not my best self. No, I was I was dying once again. And and there is also like how the fuck did I get here again? Um but you know, thankfully I finally heard a message that made more sense to me in a way it never had before. Um I don't know, and there was a clarity to it. And then I heard about this podcast, Spiritual Underground. Mm. So, like, when I had all these demons talking to me in my head last summer, I would put another voice in my head, you know, and listen to other people's stories. Um, And I, I finally let my ego go. And I wrote, the first thing I wrote in that IOP on the first day was, I know nothing. It didn't matter that I had... 13 on and off years of recovery. I mean, it was obviously 
bullshit for the most part because I'm back here, you know, which is okay. You know, I had a sponsor last year that said, it's okay. It's okay just for today. And God, did I need that mantra, especially when I'm in a house that was empty. You know, so you go from like COVID to like extreme togetherness to nothing, you know, for that. And that was my job. That was who I was, was a mom. So um, I am, I'm grateful for it. Um, I'm still working through the fact that like I was in that position again. Um, but I, if, if, if it hadn't happened, I wouldn't have found this. I wouldn't have found a depth of recovery that I have today. I found my fucking higher power. I didn't realize that I really didn't have a higher power because nobody, you know, said to fully let go of all the bullshit that you had been told, you know. I don't know if there was a Noah or not. I don't know if there was a rib and Adam and Eve or any of that shit, you know. It's still, but when I got to bring my logical scientific approach to my higher power, the connectedness of this universe, you know, the fact that everything is a wave, everything is frequency, you know, when I, <laughs> I always joke when Christopher said quantum physics <laughs> that first day, I was like, yes, you know, somebody that spoke the spiritual side of things, but also the scientific side and brought it together and things just clicked finally. And um, I guess I, it was the second most painful time in my life, the first being when my son was sick. Um, but uh, it finally also let me have a break. It sounds so bad, but because my children weren't there, mm -hmm. I fucking could think for once. I like had hours to be like, okay, where am I in my life right now? Who am I? You know, how did I get here? Um, it's a very common theme that what appears to be the worst thing somebody could believe could happen to them turns out being the thing that works out the best for them. Yeah. All the prison sentence. All the most horrible things that I was afraid of happening, you know, losing my children, like losing basically any way of like paying bills, uh, you know, potentially losing my house, like losing everything. It finally just, there was nothing left but to learn what I need to do to start living. Right. And Joseph Campbell says, we all get wake up calls. And some of them come as a tickle feather. And if you don't listen to the tickle feathers, it progresses until it's a sledgehammer. You know, and we, we, I can look back at the opportunities I had when the telephone was ringing, God was calling mm -hmm. and, and calling, and I wouldn't answer a telephone essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, and it ramps up on us until it finally gets us. And you can't beat yourself up for not answering a phone back then because you weren't capable of doing it. Right. You know, you really do have to settle in on this. This, this is just my journey. Mm -hmm. This is just mine, you know. And, and my, my biggest hook I hang on that I used to hang that on is that I suppose I'm going to be doing, I'm doing this so that I can help somebody else in the same position. Mm -hmm. That's my job today. Yeah. My job is to use my story to help other people. And hopefully they don't have to do what I did. Or right. at the very least, they will uh, relate to what I'm telling them because they've been through the same thing again. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I, and I remember hearing it over the years. You know, you don't 
have to do this relapse thing. It's not a requirement, you know. Relapse is not a requirement. It is uh, not. Mm-mm. But I don't know too many people that haven't done it. Yeah. I talk to a lot of alcoholics in the podcast and out the outside mm-hmm. the podcast. There's very few people that are one chip wonders. Right. But they get that silver chip, stay sober. And uh, and for even those guys, time still ain't over for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they might think they're a one chip wonder. Right, right. But, I but, mean, you know, and that's the other thing. You know, we can't. That's people, the thing about participating in recovery and keeping it in the front because I'm not going to sit here and say I'll never drink again. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. I said I, that before. I did too. I remember, I said five million dollars. <laughs> a month and a half later, <laughs> that was the year Big Ben won the Derby. I'll never was forget it. it. Uh, but yeah, uh, there's. I thought Dad was going to walk in here. Oh. <laughs> I didn't I, I tried to talk to him a couple of times today every time I tried to touch base with him he was taking a nap and I busted out here yesterday afternoon needing some solace and packed up my 38 pound backpack and my camping gear and he said where are you going and I said I ain't sure yet mm-hmm. but I'm going someplace by myself tonight he said it's going to rain like crazy I said well I guess I'll get to test my gear and I haven't, <laughs> I haven't talked to him since I got home uh, oh, right this on. morning I bet a hundred dollars he was gonna walk in here. Uh, he probably saw a car out front and knows something's up. Because uh, most time I tell him, probably you know, saw like the top of my head I'm sitting like, in there. I don't know if he could see in here. He didn't ever look in the oh, window. Oh, gotcha. Um, no big deal. He gets all antsy when he walks in here, like he's interrupted church or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, and you know the truth is, you don't ever have to do it again, right? No. Mm-mm. And now it begins to feel pretty crazy that you're armed with this level of facts, right? Oh, absolutely. The book says that too, armed with the facts about myself. Well, and getting back to the higher power thing, it's just like, oh my gosh. I mean, this program is about like handing everything over or giving everything up. And it's just like with a power greater than yourself that you can rely upon. You know, and having this assignment that finally said, write down who, you know, who or what your higher power is. I mean, mine. There are no words to describe. God inventory. Yeah. I mean, I never was told you could throw this shit out the window. Yep. There's something missing out of the the original 12 steps. You know, I mean, it's vaguely represented. Vaguely. Choose your own conception and stuff, but not like hammered and drilled down Mm -hmm. like some of us need it uh, explained to us. Right. And that's the whole reason for the TSSR book is because there is all this tribal knowledge Mm -hmm. because there's guys floating around since 1935 that had that idea Mm -hmm. and you didn't bump into him or her. (laughs) Uh, no, I must've missed him. That is just like, you know, it, it's out. Those that are out there. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm certain I can't, I'm not going to sit here and say that. Well, I've loved listening to Burns. Christopher will tell you he didn't invent any of this. Right. It's all stuff that was taught to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just documented it. Yeah. You know, so that tribal knowledge, I'm going to have to assume, was out there and it was vaguely represented, but nobody drilled it in the way that Christopher drilled it into me about truly being able to invent. And I say, I go to Walmart and I buy a brand new tub of modeling clay mm-hmm. and I get to come home and form up my whole new higher power from the ground. It's brilliant. Up. It's brilliant. You burn the other one, and I mean, I still have my current, but and people, it's a hard thing to get into people's heads too, mm-hmm. you know, because you weren't taught you could do that. 
Yeah. You were taught more of that training and programming that this one is the one. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go along with this one, then you go to hell. You're going or, to you hell, know, man. All, yeah. Mortal sin and go to, yeah. And I we've mean, been taught that since we were little kids. Mm-hmm. And then we get to be whatever age you are. Or I got to be, you know, in my 40s. And somebody's trying to tell me there's something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, you know, it'd be like telling me that the grass ain't green. Yeah. Uh, the grass has been green all my life. What are you saying? Well, we also have the connotations attached to things. Like I've had to, and I've said this many times before, but like just the word God gets people so worked up. It does. You know? I still flinch at Jesus. Yeah. I still can't Same, help it. Yes. Well, and you know what? I he, can laugh at myself now. You know, I know it's yeah. that dude on my left shoulder again, poking me in the ribs when that happens. He's giving uh, me an excuse. Not and to. you know what? I've had a couple of breakthroughs, old man, and I've caught myself before talking to somebody who's mm-hmm. Jesus is their higher power. And they're talking to me, and they go, you know what I mean, right? Jesus is Lord, and I just go along with it, you know? Yeah. Just And all I, I just mentally said they have their conception, I have, I have mine, mine, and mm-hmm. I just agreed with them. You know, no sense in arguing. There was a time when I had to say, well, that's not exactly the way that I think about it, you know? And today, I'll just go along with you. Mm-hmm. We're just talking, you know, it's another analogy is we have multiple, every language has a word for water. Right. right. Well, now, it's a container fallacy. You, it's a, the only reason it has meaning is we give it meaning. Yeah. And yeah. if somebody offers you agua, you're not yeah. going to say, no, thank you. I drink water. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and it's the same thing with these terms everybody uses. And Bill was on that, too. And he said, don't prejudice. Don't have prejudice yeah. against the words, the spiritual terms are used here. Right. But that's just a little line, you know, and it's written mm-hmm. in that old language. Nobody really hammered that into me like what what frankly christopher christopher did right yeah and he just i mean i i still sort of cringe with like god the father it's like mm-hmm. i do not like that was a huge i'm like oh just with my male like yeah. and uh, it really was a growth thing for me to be able to do that with a, a couple few people have basically evangelized me mm-hmm. on the on the jesus thing and i just told him i'm already there yeah you know hey yeah with you brother well, I love that. I mean, Christopher said um, in a podcast I was uh, listening to last year that, you know, uh, Jesus was a master teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that concept, too. It's just like, and we all are, you know, on this journey and at different places and levels and, you know, our either spirituality or since, um, what we understand. Yeah, and, and since coming to that, since awakening in my current sobriety date, uh, I can now actually draw from multiple spiritual teachings mm-hmm. and not have any prejudice. You know, I, mm-hmm. I like that and I like this yes. and I like that. And I really like the North American Indian models. You well, know, I think that's why I felt so and, much peace in, in Arizona, New Mexico. Yeah. was because the density of the yeah. population of people that were so connected, you yep. know, to the, in my true higher power. Yeah, we get to know? take a bucket and pour all the good things yeah. that we like out of every spirit ancient spiritual teaching the universe is too damn big to have this tiny little like you know this one yep. conception or beings just... you know say, but there is something to it you know and that's something that has set with me i've always known you know that's another thing the big book says you know i never was an atheist uh, i tried to play that role a little bit just for attention when i was a certain age <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was a devil worshiper, you know, and listened to Ozzy Osbourne and uh, sure, you know, like <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Uh, but always have known something, and then mm-hmm. you know, think somebody put it in the words of like and showed like the hieroglyphics on you know out there out in the West, 
Mm-hmm. And the ones that are in Pakistan mm-hmm. are similar. Oh, all over the in, world. Yeah, you look I'm at not like, trying to pick just two opposite right, spheres things. Exactly. You got, and they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have no way to teach mm-hmm. one another that this idea was the same. But the same stuff is represented in their cultures. And there's got to be something to that. Oh, that and can't it's all be, over the world if you look That can't up. be an accident. Yeah. I mean, Egypt, Mayan culture. Yeah. Um, and then areas in Asia, totally. Yeah. But, you know. And that is gets to be tough. The toughest person, two toughest people to sponsor. Hardcore atheists that don't believe in anything. Because mm-hmm. changing people's minds is tough. Yeah. Uh, it's a whole lot easier to take somebody who's open to it and mold them in a direction, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, especially if they get to pick the direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and born-again Christians. <laughs> they are. They're the hardest people. They're, those two groups are the hardest people they to sponsor. they got to save you, Dan. Well, they, they're <laughs> so unwilling to let go of their old ideas. Uh-huh. And Bill says, you must let go of your old ideas. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying your old idea is no good. You just got to let go of it. You know, yeah. and uh, you, you got to be and, teachable. And there's a lot of people that circle back to the religion of their childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, once they get with this, right? You know, they'll they will circle back and be plenty happy in the religion they were brought up with. But they got to let go of it for a while before they can circle around and, and come back there. Yeah, I think that's what was so important for me to write down. I know nothing on that yep. first day is I realized that everything that I've been doing before. You know, even though in my mind it was 12 steps here and this and that, it was just like, well, obviously that didn't fucking work. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I absolutely know nothing. And, yep, you, you know, do. Um, That's um, letting go of everything you think you know about everything. Mm-hmm. And because uh, you just hit the nail on the head. Fact of the matter, if your old ideas were so good, then why did you they? wouldn't be here today. Right. And that's my favorite line to drop across the table to somebody that I'm working with mm-hmm. that will kind of beat their fist about their religion and they got a higher power. And that, like you get a, you know, everybody, not everybody, quite a few guys come in and they will tell me, oh, yes, I, I am connected to my higher power. You know, and they will, you know, by all, and I'm not saying they're not. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that connection ain't enough just to keep you from drinking. Right, that connection has a... That's all that matters today. <laughs> yeah, you know? you need to... It's the only thing. It could be good for Turn everything else. <laughs> right. But it's not working for this, so you need to look and start being open to pick up another tool or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll find something that, you know, that, that works. Right. And, and speaking of tools, I guess I'm just trying to think of, like, if you compare the last year to the last 13 before it, um, it was... Uh, keeping the tools in my hands, you know. And there's a little forced on you, you know. It's kind of like that thing about getting hit with a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. A lot of things were going on around you made you grip them tools this time around. Yeah, you know I, I mean? couldn't and let that's them go. What, you know, and I say a lot of people who got, you know, getting sober during COVID, in my opinion, you should have a, a recovery that is forged in fire. I mean, a guy, guy or gal gets sober during that time, Mm-hmm. Hardest damn time to get sober. I don't care. You you had other stuff outside of that going on. Yeah, I, yeah. You know? COVID was one but of my just, least concerns. But just COVID <laughs> itself, yeah, should to me forge a deeper recovery because it had to be worked for harder. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, yeah, because that that in person connection was really not there. Although I will say, I did. I felt like there was no excuse not to go to a meeting. Yeah, it does. You know, yep. because every 30 minutes you could hop on. 24-7. Yeah. 
you can go in your pajamas. Hell, you can be country, naked from the waist down. But you can find an English speaking country twenty four seven. Yes, absolutely. Yep, and, and you don't have to take a shower, and you don't. Yep, and it did, but that you know, it also goes down to. Uh, um, it takes more than just meetings to get sober, though, too. Right. You know, and and I had what a is what of, is the extra? Mm-hmm. You know, the other elements of recovery were harder to work for. You mm-hmm. can go to a meeting easy. Right. And I actually yeah. got. I, I'll admit, I'm but, a little complacent today. I'm not all fired up to go back to regular meetings. Uh, this is, you know, I'm in pretty good. I'm pretty solid today. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling that I need. Uh, some extra boost in that direction, and uh, and those Zoom meetings are just freaking easy. They <laughs> I mean, are. I mean, and I it would have been. I'm lazy. In yeah. That, in that regard, a lot of people will. Just well, say I mean, I'm not lazy, but I'm lazy in that regard. Yeah, I mean, every Tuesday night, Thursday night, I don't have to worry about childcare. Yep. I mean, it they really is, run around behind you, know, you. So I mean, I I am so grateful, I, and I I do think it has you know. Uh, enabled me to have a better recovery. Yeah, you know? that's what I mean, and that's what I'm saying to you. Your recovery mm-hmm. ought to be. It was forged in fire this past year. It has, if I can. Yeah, and there's still a little and, bit more you know, to go, but yeah. So think just, about the. Think about the level of insanity it would take to do it again now. To go back. Uh, and you know when that's what happens when people. That's that's why some of my friends are missing. You know what you because said. They I, can't. I won't say. They I'll only never, find one way out. Right, and I'll never say I won't drink again. But I sure as hell know that I cannot put down these tools. And I know there's so much out there. You know. And you won't. You know. You won't. So, you're not going to be walking into it stumbling blind either. You know, to some extent, these other ones in the past. Mm-hmm. They helped you me. You weren't yeah. necessarily properly armed with the facts about this stuff at that point, Mm-mm. and now you are. Mm-hmm. that's what I mean about uh, I won't ever say I'm not going to drink again either I get that completely mm-hmm. but uh, if I do it now I'm willingly walking into it mm-hmm. Well, and it I won't mean, be an accident I don't know how again it just I guess you get it when you get it but just the importance of working every single step yep. <laughs> every single one <laughs> And then continuing. <laughs> and then continuing. When it says, you know, that's why when I'm when I make that guarantee that that man made to me, and I think about the accuracy of his words that night. And this was in 2000. This was March the 26th, 2011. My very first AA meeting that had a where I had a third tradition in my pocket, where I had a true desire to stop. Mm-hmm. I went to some AA meetings before that I wasn't ready to stop. But the first time I showed up with the third tradition, a desire to stop in my pocket, uh, that guy said to me, and the people listening to this podcast have heard it, and you've heard it, that I can guarantee, he said, and he puts that if statement on the front of it, that qualifier. Mm -hmm. He says, if you have this thing called alcoholism, this thing that I got, if, if you work these 12 steps and practice these principles in your daily life, Mm -hmm. I can guarantee you, you'll never drink again. Yeah. And he said, but I can guarantee you something else. If you have this thing called alcoholism, this thing that I got, and you don't work these 12 steps and you don't practice these principles in your daily life, your life's going to get a whole lot fucking worse. Yep. And I wasn't prepared to hear fucking out of that dude that night. (laughs) I really wasn't because he's a soft-spoken, big, gentle bear kind of dude, you know, and I just wasn't when he hit me with that. But still, 
my 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 sobriety my current sobriety is four years after that. Yeah. You know, I I'm a I'm I'm bigger than the rules. Oh, I'm maybe you people have to do that. Right. I am unique. <laughs> That's another thing, man. And you do this. It's thing. so funny for people that like uh yeah. I don't know. Want to be so unique, but yet want to be like everybody else and be able to drink like everybody else. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's yep. how screwed up is that? No doubt. Yep. <laughs> I want to be like you, but I'm nothing like you. Yep. You hang around here and work with enough people, and you become like an am- amateur psychiatrist in a sense, you know, because these people come in here with this. And I understand what Christopher's saying that really, when you boil it down, we're all cookie cutter alcoholic, you know, garden variety, some people say. You uh-huh. know, and I didn't really hear that so well when he first told me, you know, because, I, you know, you just don't hear stuff. Uh, you don't. At times, you it's know, not, crazy. not the way it really is. Mm-hmm. And then, but now, you know, I have some guy call me up and, you know, out of the blue. And once, you know, some help, he knows somebody, knows somebody, knows me and wondered if maybe he could talk to me a little bit about AA or whatever. And they start dropping those same things. You know, you hear the terminal uniqueness. Mm -hmm. You hear the, uh, the, uh, like, here's another one I hear lately. This is really hard for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Rest of us had easy. Oh, it was nothing. I can understand Probably going to be more difficult for you than it is for other people. Right? (laughs) Oh, you don't understand. See? uh, I've got... Here's what you need to know about me. (laughs) (laughs) Those are some other things that come out on a regular basis. Oh, that's so funny. I know. Just that... Nope. You're just like the rest of us. And that's that's the comforting thing now, too, is that, you know, yes, I know I'm just like the rest of these guys, you know, and I can quit being unique in that regard and mm-hmm. you know there is a thing where we are all actually unique we all have individual souls and we're the only ones that are like me i am the only me i am the only me yeah uh, for sure but when it comes to the way this disease acts on you uh, it's cookie it's, cutter yeah yeah and it yeah it doesn't spare anybody i mean that that's got it and um it's weird you think I'm the only me is that when I was a kid, I didn't realize what I was doing. And I think it was maybe even a form of meditation, but I would say that over and over and over oh, yeah. again and like really get like, wow, I am the only me. You, know? you think about it like, like that, like, you know, uh, that's a form of meditation, you know, there's right, some what, I yeah. am meditations and stuff. Exactly. And you're yeah, guided to do that with nobody teaching you necessarily. You might've picked it up someplace on TV or some I Sesame Street so. or just, something, you know, where... Well, I would think uh, about, like, God, I don't know what they're thinking, and they don't know what I'm thinking. And then when somebody would, like, get in the car and leave, I'm like, they're leaving, and they're going to this thought, and they're they're seeing these things and feeling these things, and I can't imagine or know, yeah. you yeah, know? I've been listening to some stuff that goes down that alley lately. I've been listening to some psychiatry stuff or some meaning of life kind of stuff uh, that uh, that's going over my head. It's stretching my brain. Mm-hmm. But this stuff about, like, our experience is only what's happening here. You know, mm-hmm. I really, what's going on over there, like what dad is experiencing right at this moment. Right. Is, I know, um, right? It may is not that... even be happening. Because mm-hmm. the only thing I know is what's right here. Right. And I walk out of this shop and go in the house. Do I even know there's a shop out here? Was it like a, <laughs> right. a simulation? Yeah, now you're like getting into a hole. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, I mean, and that, that kind of speaks a little bit to how like, you know, we talk about manifesting things. And like, you know, I was saying about everything's vibration and every, I mean, it just, when you really get into the science of it, it is so freaking fascinating and amazing. So, 
today while we're sitting in that meeting. Do you see that centipede? Yeah. Uh, it was going across the other side of the room, and I thought that that centipede, and I did it just out of fun. I said, come back over here, and I'll let you out. It come back over here, and then a little while, it came back. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And I, I really am beginning to be convinced there's some reality that we can bend. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind. Like, uh, if, and I really think that's what happened there. Mm-hmm. And I think if I put my intentions towards that, that's what I was saying earlier about this stuff about like where your intentions are in this work means everything. If oh, you really, absolutely. If you're just going through the motions. I get mad at myself because I, I know that to be true. And I'm like, God, you know, but it takes it takes a lot. Yep. It's not just my self-employment, like a, this wood shop. It, yep. This wood shop manifested out of my wishes mm-hmm. with really no cost to me. No, I mean, if you really do take hold, that is what, I forget who said it, but that is basically our point of being here on this earth in the human form is to learn how to manipulate energy. Yep. And if you really do start to look into that concept and... That's and, what I mean. That's the kind of things I'm listening to. Yeah. No, really. I mean, it's... And it's like there's these dudes having unreal level mm-hmm. talk. One guy was telling the other day talking about uh, remote viewing that he had a college professor that put these people in different rooms mm-hmm. and would put numbers up on the wall. Yeah. And these people would get, like, energetically connected. And yeah, he could have... sit here and tell them that that's a number five on the wall. Absolutely. They have, like, children because they're just more receptive and, you know, able they to, like... They've squashed, just TSSR. That... We haven't been stepped on yet. Right. No, that they can sit there with their eyes closed and go through and tell you what color something is. Yeah. You know, I mean, no, I mean, I... I know all that to be true, seriously, like even scientifically, and I like Yeah, and still but, can't practice it. But, but yeah, it's hard. It's not it, just like these steps. Mm-hmm. They're, they're simple, but they are hard, you know. Um, it, Knowing it what work. to do and doing it. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I think you can Yeah, you, you can, can know all day long what to do. You can, but. Yeah, you can <laughs> recite the big book, have it memorized, mm-hmm. and it really won't do you any good. Right. It's one of the things I heard somebody talk about that, and it hit me hard enough now that when I see somebody recite the, anything out of the big book, you know, big stuff, mm-hmm. not just making little quotes. Right. Uh, if they do it the off promises. memory, yeah. yeah uh, I actually look at that as like a almost like in a dogma kind of standpoint that like you shouldn't do that. You should read it because knowing it don't mean shit. No, it doesn't. And uh, I know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I almost wonder, like, that's camouflage right there. Yeah, they're telling them, you know, that's a way of them saying that they they know all this stuff, but they do really, do they really know it? Yeah. You know? I mean, I could memorize something and do the same thing, but am I living yeah, it? people am memorize I... the Gettysburg Address, right? Yep. I don't mean they know a thing about it. <laughs> no, I mean, and that, again, I feel like that is sort of like a... No, the only guy I'll give an exception to is I do know a blind guy <laughs> who recites some of the stuff when he gets given a reading and that's actually impressive to me that's really cool yeah that is really neat first I, time i saw him do it he had it he had it upside down and backwards and he was holding it in front of him he looks like he's he pretends like he's reading it that's awesome yeah he runs wow. around level a lot of people know him. yeah uh, wow that's incredible yep met him at the token three a lot of people know him yeah, there's some, yeah, um, there's uh, some amazing people in recovery in this town. 
Yeah. You know, like they feel like when we were talking about just what TSSR is in comparison to just AA, I was thinking about the meeting Burns Brady used to have on Wednesday nights and anybody, you know, kind of was welcome with uh-huh. any kind of, you know, I just, yep, and he would like go a... line by line in the big book and it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I do when it just, I guess my appreciation as a writer, but also just like, you know, that there had to have been a higher power helping Bill write this stuff. Has to be. I mean, it's just like, it's phenomenal. My be- my big one is, and I don't know, it seems big to me. So I love hanging my hook, hanging my hat on this hook is that that book requires a guide to take you through it. Oh, no doubt. You read that book on its mm-hmm. own. It has very low value. I mean, there's good stuff in there's it. There's good stuff in it. But, but to in order to get it, you must have a guide. And yeah. I don't think there's a human being could write a book that required a guide. That had to be divinely inspired. Mm. Oh, there's no doubt. That uh, I mean, there's, there's... You couldn't write... I don't think you could write a book like that. Not unless it was meant to be. You know, you could write a manual, but that's not what the big book is. Mm-mm. It's not a manual. No, there is a, just an uh, intensity of thought of, of and you have to have somebody of, like, walk you through it. Of, it yeah, it, it of what are forces in those connection words in order to get the results of what it promises. It's it truly is amazing, and that's I, I mean, um, I have thought a lot over the last year too how like crappy it is if you don't get like a good sponsor mm-hmm. or if you don't get sponsor because to teach everything. you to guide you to really give some meaning to, to get some into of this every little crook stuff. and cranny in yeah. there. And I feel like this gift I've got, you know, today is that I'm, I still take alcoholics through the big book, mm-hmm. but I deliver them TSSR while I'm doing it. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't need the TSSR book. You don't have to read it. Uh, I can guide you through there just because of the tribal knowledge has been passed down to me and now written. Um, it's still the methodology behind it. That's well, just the power. talking about the forgiveness aspects that's yep. talked about in the TSSR book, and yep. it just—it's totally, that's I totally mean, missing out of the big book. Oh my! And it's almost hilarious thinking about like my Catholic background. It's just like, well, you're supposed to forgive. It's like, well, how the fuck do I forgive? Yep. <laughs> you know, it's just like I am like I do not use the word hate like at all. Like it is reserved for like probably use it just to, with a couple, just one or two people. But I'm saying like how if that you despise somebody so much, how, how do you forgive? And it's just, I just was, I don't, I don't even know how to word it because I get really, I do get excited when I think about the TSSR and what it really fleshes out and what it's saying. And it's just like, if you don't read it and if you know about it and don't read it, then you're completely missing out. Yeah. You know, it is, it just is like, oh, and it's, it's just funny because it even like, oh, I didn't even think to ask that question, but that's a good question to ask. You know, yep. <laughs> it's like, and I'm glad I'm getting it answered. Um, just so much missing out. Um, it really, you know, and I mean, that's, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, um, you know, you can lead somebody to, to something, but you can't make them like, I, that's, the I love the water and drink thing. Yeah. April said in here, she said, and I didn't never heard it said that way, is that you could lead a duck to water. Thought, <laughs> and not make him swim or what? Not, not, <laughs> I was drinking. But. I've never heard the duck one either. Me either. Uh, I think it got, uh, I think it got conflated with the water off a duck's back. Oh, one. okay. But, got the two, the horse and the duck uh, up next. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, I certainly am not going to be one to sit around and criticize people like that because uh, uh, I come off with all kinds know. of things. Yeah. I don't have any idea what I'm saying. Right. I'm just, I'm just trying to communicate. Right. Oh, I get some of those so wrong sometimes. Like I got the one about the toilet so wrong and like. 
person I was talking to she was busting out laughing for like five minutes because I couldn't think about like sitting on the pot or some crap and then pun intended but um but yeah I mean if there's one takeaway I guess um or something that I a message that I would you know love for people to hear at the end of this podcast is you know one you don't have to go back out there you don't and um to write it down I know nothing and then jump in you know and go and follow the people that have done it before you know and um I it's I heard the words happy joyous and free I don't know how I mean over and over and over again and I, I joked that they were like those laugh love learn like placards that you see all over the place it's like in that commercial like why do you have to write it down because they didn't you know happy joyous and free didn't really mean a lot to me and then this last year, I'm like, I finally get these fucking words. Mm-hmm. Like these, I was tr- starting to write my testimony about TSSR. And I was like, oh my gosh, happy, joyous, and fucking free. Yep. They're real. They're true. They have substance, you know, And but it does take some work to get there. It does take some work to get there. Yep. You know, but it's. You have to awaken. You do. You just can't. You know, it's like a big cloud around you otherwise. And mm-hmm. until you shed that weight, which the 12 steps will do, mm-hmm. you can't see through the cloud. And, you know, those words yeah. don't mean anything. And you, and know, you all don't those know that you're not little awake. cliches yeah. in there. I love them. I hate them and love them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I know. And this, again, this last year, I've always hated all those cliches. And then I find myself, I'm like, well, there really they isn't an easy way to, to say it. Yeah. Yep, they finally, and I heard them. Ad nauseum, uh, and, like, and yep, and uh, and now and again you'll see an internet argument come up or something, and they will uh, talk about the the slogans and all of that, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and you'll see people poo pooing it. Oh, you know, it's the dumbest thing in the world, you know. But it's like, but they were really those yeah. actually those are actually pretty cool and they're true if you'll do this work. If you do the exactly, and and that's how I know I really yep. didn't understand it or was missing a whole lot. Yeah, you get radar, <laughs> yeah. like I said, about being able to read new sponsees and stuff, mm-hmm. and you can walk in someplace and know if somebody's really done this work or not. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and when I say really, I mean really. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think certain people pick sponsors on purpose that haven't. Right. It's that self sabotage. Yeah. Because they don't really want a good sponsor. Right. It's like, well, now I can get by. And, and you know, I also have, and I don't, they're not processing that. That's a disease. That's the parasite that's hijacked mm-hmm. their operating system. Uh, they don't know they're doing that. Mm-mm. And then what they get later on is the excuse of what you and I sat here and did earlier and went around. I've worked the steps. Yeah. With the sponsor. It didn't yeah, work. Yeah, I did it. It didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah. You guys are full of shit. <laughs> yeah. But if you go back and drill down into that and then you I, get to well, people, yeah. you know, people pick subpar sponsors and mm. half-assed to work half-assed to work yeah. <laughs> you know and those two that is not our recipe <laughs> that is not our recipe Mm-mm. and i'm not saying a, you know i could be careful about subpar because you do have to right. be well i was going to say sometimes that. like they just don't uh, know what they don't know yeah and, and a sponsor just teaches the way they're their sponsor and yep. then their sponsor yep. and i yep. mean like i said the the profoundness of this work in the tssr is just like oh my gosh it just it crushes me that people are missing this um yep you go to meetings and you sit around you listen to people like go to step meetings and you hear what people are doing or not doing you know oh my god yeah you're doing it wrong yeah you know know, in one breath i want to say there's no wrong way to do this 
Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to say, there's no wrong way to do it. If you do it, you'll get some results. Uh, but there's certainly what I've landed on is that uh, this this TSSR is definitely a optimized way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be other ways out there that are just as good. I'm not aware of any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is an optimized. That's why I say it's the great compendium, the magnum opus, the, mag- <laughs> the optimus prime version of the 12 steps. It is. Well, and I mean, I could go on and on, but I think uh, just also having somebody tell you, it is okay not to be over this thing that happened to you, you know, when you were four or five or six or seven, the way our society says, oh, it's so long, we'll get over it. Yep. Or, you know, just to have like permission, yep. you know, to say that really sucked. And then to, you know, share and and, and uh, process it. And Bob Earl, and he's one of my very favorite speakers. And uh, I got introduced to him this time around and you was talking about listening to podcasts and that. Um, I wasn't connected with podcasts when I got sober and I'm, you know, they really, you know, even six years ago, podcast isn't what it is today. No, not at all. Uh, but there were speaker yeah. tapes out there. Oh, and Tons I, yes. of speaker tapes. And, and I, I got some. addicted to them, man, <laughs> From, on the internet. Yeah. No, I mean, I know the speaker tapes, there's actually tapes. Tapes. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. When I first yep. got into sobriety, yep. I actually had but the tapes. But by the time I got here. There, I found some wonderful souls pointed me to the magnificent library that is on the internet today of hundreds of thousands of speaker tapes. There's way beyond Joe and Charlie. I'm talking about uh, you throw a a name up there, I'll find Mm -hmm. you a speaker. Yeah. Susan, Jane, Tim. Scott. Yeah. (laughs) But one of my favorites is uh, Earl. uh, Bob Earl. And he said, you can't sit here and tell me that I need to go out and forgive uh, what? Now I lost the thing. That you can't uh, tell me that I got to go out and make amends for everybody that I did wrong, and I got and let the people off the hook that did me wrong. And I said, you, that just doesn't compute It doesn't to him. compute, right. How, how you expect. And it, was, yeah. it was just like what you said. You know, we have to we have to accept that what they did was wrong and all that. And we will, we, there's a way to work to forgiveness. Right. But he was talking about early in his time in AA, they told you, you know, the things that was done to you didn't matter. Right, exactly. And and we allow space and processing for mm-hmm. the things that And I think that, that is another huge you aspect. Here. You know, and that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons, you know, that, some of the stuff in here about like uh, only doing a four step on resentments, only resentments. You know, mm-hmm. basically when I have a guy do a four step, I tell him to write down everything that had an impact right, on your that life. That was another part of the, now that you're saying Whether that, like, like I said, I could go on and on, but that's another part. Or, like things you know, that are everything. Right. You know, what made you you? That's mm-hmm. what we're really looking for in this inventory. Right. You know, Bill was right. And the guidance in the beginning, resentments is a good starting point. Mm-hmm. But if you can bite off, you know, if you can eat more of the elephant in one setting, mm-hmm. why not do it? You know, and that's, let's get the most bang for the buck the first time through this work. Yeah. And if you do that thoroughly, and I think what ends up happening in like that other way is that you're 10 years sober and you're digging in the same pile that we right. dig in today. Uh-huh. You know, we dig into it on day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it says, we made a list of the people that we, of who we were angry Right. Well, and like I, I had let never a lot of people off the hook on that one. Written down. I wasn't angry that, at my mom. Right. <laughs> it, well, and I, I realized by doing this work that oh my gosh, I sort of was uh, 
brought up to not be allowed to be angry at my mom. You're not upset. You can't be mad at your mother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like I did not realize until I oh. did that reading and started. And then I, I had never written down a girl that started an I Hate Catherine Club in fourth grade. You know, and then I realized that, like, there have been often times in my life it didn't matter how amazing I did, how awesome, I, it still didn't work out. Yep. Or I was still either ridiculed or things, like, went bad. or So it's just like, That's so the amazing. message was, didn't matter how freaking fantastic I was, shit was still not going to work out for me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a horrible way to go right. through life. Yeah. You know? And, you know, that's where this stuff is kind of cryptic because Bill said, you mm-hmm. know, we're going to look, we're going to do a fact-finding and fact-facing process. That I agree with that. And he mm-hmm. says, we're looking for causes and conditions. And then down here, only people he's going to let you look at are the ones you're mad at. Right. It's and like, so wait a minute. It was, it's in there. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be dug out deeper. And, you know, and I know people who have, you know, the who the people they harmed weren't on their fourth step because they're only directed to do that when it says made a list of those who we harmed mm-hmm. in eight. Right. You know, and they don't do the work on those people mm-hmm. in four step. All they're doing is making a list and going out and trying to fix it by eight. Right. But they oh, don't get any of this causes and conditions effects of what that actually did to you and what your part was in all that, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and I've seen those divisions made, you know, and I think that's like, you know, you're missing it. Mm-hmm. You know, will it work? Probably. Um, yeah. Depending. If you're going to give, if I got cancer and there's five treatments out there, give me the best one. Right. <laughs> exactly. I don't want diet chemo. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I that's want... something that I've thought about too. And I think about like we had a doctor for Eli here in Louisville and then I'm so just, I'm, I mean, it changed his life. Three weeks later, we went to Cincinnati. You know, and it's like, God damn, you know, if you don't have the right doctor, if you don't have the right, like, work. So what I'm saying is just like, uh, it just. It's in here, too. Yeah, it is. I mean. That's another Bob Earl thing. Bob Earl said, you know, if you come to ask me to drive you to a doctor in Cleveland, I'd jump in the car and take you up there. But if I got something wrong with me, I'm going down to urgent care at the corner. Right. (laughs) Oh, definitely. We don't. Yeah. I'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. But I won't take care of me that way. Right. Well, and again, I'll that was, be okay. Right. Yeah. Or maybe, I mean, some story people tell themselves is I'm not deserving of that. Yeah, right. That is exactly where he's going with that, that you don't deserve yeah. it. So you know, I love his I'm, one story. He's talking about he's going down the road. And we've got some guy he knows had just bought a, what we call a racehorse that you uh, buy off the, uh, off, you know anything about horse racing? I do a little bit, but What's I'm trying to... What's it called? A stakes or a horse or some kind of... That you buy, that have, uh, you you buy, buy them off on the track? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, think it's a stakes, is it? It seems right, and I've I lost it. It sounds right. <laughs> well, he buys one of them. His buddy does. And yeah. he's got a horse trailer, and he's driving down the interstate doing 40 mile an hour. And uh, he says, you know, hey, wh- why, why are you driving so slow? He said, I've never had something this valuable in my vehicle before. And then Bob said... Oh. Bob said, God damn, dude, what about me? Yeah. <laughs> Not to what mention him. You? Yeah. And, and watch you? people drive, too. And I used to be this way. I drove safer when I had other people in the car than I did when it was when it's just, just me. Because yeah. I'll do take chances when it's just me. Yeah. You know, what's that say for that my much. self-worth? Right. Exactly. And this stuff will dig you down into that kind of thought, you know, where mm-hmm. I start valuing me today. Well, it, and, well, and, then, and drinking yourself to death is the epitome of not valuing me. Right. You teach others how I to treat you worth, by the way you treat yourself. Yeah, I am not worth preserving. 
Mm -hmm. I'll just go ahead and drink myself to death. Yeah. And you get down to those messages that told you that, you know, whether they were, you know, by accident or inadvertently or, you know. It's not a blame game. It's a fact-finding and Mm fact-facing process. Yeah. Um, And that's something I'm, I'm still working on is just trying to, you know, navigate letting the people in my life go that are toxic or or don't you know uh treat me like you know for the value yep and the human that i am yep you know you're right we train we have and i learned that from it's another miracle recovery is uh to train people the way i'm i'm willing to be treated Mm -hmm. right and 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 set those boundaries (laughs) and then maintain them Oh, I can actually remember the conversation I had. It was last October, like about, well, how do I set boundaries now? After, I mean, I'm 39, so these people are used to like siblings yep. or parents. I'm used to treating them like, well, you just have to start setting them and then repeat them as often as necessary. Yep. There's a meme out there that says something about um, the people most bothered by your boundaries are the ones you most need them for, the boundaries. Yep, yep. There was a, a little while I didn't talk to my mom because she you know, bulldoze right through a boundary. And I'm like, well, then we can't talk right now. Because I've specifically said I do not want to talk about that right now. You know, or this is none of your business, basically. Or, you know, just things like that. It gets back to that self-worth thing. I'm worth it. Right. To me. (laughs) Well, it it doesn't matter, you know. Another thing I heard someplace, and I think it was Bob Earl, he said, we sit in here and we say the newcomer is the most important person in the room, but I disagree. I am the most important person in this room. That's awesome. <laughs> and if I don't hold myself in that regard, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and it kind of goes contrary to a lot of the teachings that I got grown up with in AA to some extent. You know, and mm-hmm. ten years now that I've been, yeah, March would have made ten years of my exposure in AA, and uh, and I was told that they were the most important people. You know, and this is right. you know, that I basically got to lay I'll my head on though. the guillotine in order to be a part of this club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been taught otherwise since. Yeah. That's, I mean, and again, that goes in the mixed messaging that we get. You know, it's just like you're supposed to be successful, but don't dare, you know, compliment yourself for it, you yep. know, yep. in your breath. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, and we still have a little of that. We still have, watch, the person that comes in and has just had a hard luck thing happen to them, we will give them a lot more attention than the person comes in and celebrates a win. Mm-hmm. You know, some hard luck thing, lost their wife, kids in the hospital, you know, we'll throw compassion all over them, which they deserve. I'm not right. saying they don't. Right. But when somebody right. comes in, just got the new job. Now, TSSR is better than that. And I was going to say, better. I love the new burning it's desire. It's better, better than it yeah. used to be, but it still exists to where the person who is uh, crashing Mm-hmm. We'll get more, way more to, you know, they cry. It's like in a center borrow thing. Somebody comes in there and has lost their wife and her car and her job. And that somebody in a meeting take you out to eat. You come in there and just got a promotion. <laughs> got a new car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, has, has just bought a new car. You're expected to buy them supper. Exactly. <laughs> we don't celebrate. Uh, well, and it's weird you're saying that because, again, like I, that's what my mom always said. I never knew you needed any help. You know, because I always just figured it out and did it on my own. Yep. I mean, I figured out my own financial aid for college and just, you know, da 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 But then I saw my part, though, too. 
because I never asked for help. Yep. You know, I never said, hey, I'm drowning over here. <laughs> yep. So, you know, and it uh, kind of goes hand in hand with that. You know, maybe I'm not responsible for the trauma that happened to me as a child, but I'm damn well responsible for having carried it around uh, as a victim for 30 years or whatever it is. And, and letting it affect my that present. That is me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also easier to sit there and make other people excuses, you know, especially like... It's always easy to be the victim. It's mm-hmm. the easy way out. The martyr or the victim. Mm-hmm. Those are most most people's uh, core, uh, almost core values. I'm yeah, well, I get it. Martyr or a victim. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, it's just... It's easier to cop out. Like, there's so much that I learned doing this, like, fourth and fifth stuff. Like, I always kind of blame my mom for not. I was in Air Force ROTC, offered all this scholarship, going to be all this stuff. And she said she didn't, you know, want me to do it. But, in fact, if I really look back at that, when they asked us if we were willing to die for our country, I was like, (laughs) you know, I'm like, eh. And so, again, but in my mind, for years and years, she was the reason. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Bill's line in there says these things fancied or real, mm-hmm. right? Some Our of them are real, but some of them we made them up ourselves. And everybody's got a bunch of, uh, not a bunch, I will say I have. <laughs> I got a pocket full of lies that I've been telling myself to the point that I believed them until I did this work. Yep. And I would go down swinging mm-hmm. telling you that was the truth. Oh, absolutely. I talked myself into it. Mm-hmm. And we all I told it. the lie so me. That's why I was starting to say everybody, but I thought I would throw it that, back at yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, and we tell ourselves a lie so long that we, that we believe it, and it becomes another line. We can't tell the true from the false. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous, too, because it's that kind of stuff that ends up killing us. Yeah. Uh, and crushing other people. Yep. I think you've been telling a lie about this other person that did this to you all your life. Mm-hmm. No telling how many hundreds of people you've told that to. Oh, and now look that. at yeah. that person mm-hmm. in different eyes because of your lie. Yeah. Ruining reputations. Yeah, but they, you think that person's a good person, but you ought to hear what her daughter said about her. Oh, God. <laughs> well, the thing is, is it a lie, though? If it, it's that, you know, even though it's a delusion, it, you know, like you said, I don't Justification. know. Justification. Sort of, yeah, exactly. It's still, it still did the damage that it did. Yeah. Doesn't matter why. Very true. Again, I, when I say I can't blame, I can't blame myself necessarily either. It's not a blame game, but it certainly had an impact on somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Some story I'm carrying around. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, you know. Playing every time the game got, you know, every time somebody got out some cards. Well, it's another analogy I have is people have these cards. And they're, you know. I got the victim A card, mm-hmm. B card, you know, and we're going to sit around and shoot the shit, and we all get our cards out. Well, you ought to see what happened to me. Yeah. Well, this person over here, they got... <laughs> you, you're always one-upping, or it's like it yeah. was worse for me, or... Yeah. yeah. Keith Lewis says... Yeah. My mama had a one square nipple. <laughs> <laughs> my mama had three. <laughs> uh all right, well, let's conclude this thing up. You kind of did a concluder a little bit ago, but uh, yeah. give you one. You, oh, um, oh, gosh. Open and honest. Um, working the steps. Do, you know. Um, Took me four years before I finally had a revelation. I thought, by God, you know what I'll do this time? 
I'll get a sponsor and work the steps. I'll get a sponsor and work the steps. Scott Lisa, you know what a revelation yeah, is, don't you? Yeah. It's what oh, they've been yeah. telling you for years, and when it becomes your idea, <laughs> it's a revelation. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing how, I, like I said in this last year, all the things that I'd heard, read, were told, just were like, oh, my God, you know. Um, I won't Until say I, I had it all this time because TSSR is that much different, yep. you know. And it, it is a whole different kind of getting it, you know, than I'd had before. But, you know, there's still a lot that I still didn't do. Yeah. So, and just don't put anything else in front of it. So, yeah, that's the other, I just, there is, I mean, my kids know it's a meeting night. You know, he's only six. Yep. <laughs> so. Um, and they will uh, reap the rewards of that beyond their or our understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the other, you know, just not teach these cycles, you know, hopefully not. Yeah, it's all good and well that this program came along and swept up my 45-year-old ass and Mm -hmm. fixed me. Uh, How can we not break them? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really know if that's possible because at some level I believe that's life. It is. Get broken and figure out how to heal. Yeah, because even something that you didn't even think was like a a, a thing was is a thing yeah. for them. Or something Goes into that you the said Buddhist or... philosophy of the life is suffering kind of stuff. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it is, and our job is to overcome it. And the mm-hmm. hero's journey says, Joseph Campbell's deal says, uh, bad stuff's going to happen to you, mm-hmm. and your your job is to heal from it, and then go back and help them others off over help other people across the same bridge you crossed. Yeah. So that's what I try to do today. Mm-hmm. This podcast is one way I try to do that. Uh, all our stories are valuable, and when you tell your stories, you give somebody permission to tell theirs, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 be able to rewrite their story. Because without us sitting out here doing this, that's the whole fundamental premise of AA. Is uh, this is what happened to me? Yeah. And if I can make it out, you yep. can too. And we're not bad people. We're just sick people. We're not bad people trying to be good. We're mm-hmm. sick people trying to get well. Yep. Cool, cool. All righty. I, I appreciate your time here. Thank it was fun. The microphone disappeared after a little while, just like I told you. Yeah, well, you and, know, it's really uh, surreal. I just thought of, like, all the times I've listened to this, mowing the lawn last year, and, like, you know, and they're now actually sitting in this chair. Yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm here. Yeah, I think it's funny that... uh I really appreciate and it humbles me that people actually feel that it's a honor to be here in a way. It is. Because uh, I'm just some yahoo hillbilly in New Albany that had a couple of microphones and a computer. and uh, Well, this microphone and computer taught me a lot and allowed me to hear a lot of voices that I needed to hear. So. Yeah, and I just had a reminder pop up on my telephone. I got another one at 8 o'clock. <laughs> You're kidding. Uh, I zoom one. Oh, look at you. Yeah, I forgot about that. I had to go in and get hooked up on the internet and do that. Good thing that we started ending now. Well, this thing popped up. And if it hadn't, uh, uh, I, w- I would have forgot about this. It's in my calendar, but I missed it. 
Well, at least you didn't miss it entirely. Nope, I haven't missed it yet. Yeah. I'm not so late yet. It. You're not, yeah, so nope. you got to get going, though. So we'll see you all in a little bit. But yeah. I'll close this with the same thing. I close it every time. I say a prayer before this, and uh, and and that's working. And I close with the same thing. And the one thing I have learned to do today is when something's working, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And if something ain't working, stop. Those are two pretty good lessons. Those are. So if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own it's damn fault. It's your own call. damn fault. And thank you all for allowing Catherine and I to participate, participate in our recoveries recovery. in this manner tonight. Peace out. Peace.